scorpion with two tails. It's scorpion with two tails. You might think it's a metaphor, but actually there's a scorpion and it has two tails, but it's a necklace, not an actual scorpion. That's okay. And that's probably a metaphor, but I didn't unpack that yet. We're going to talk about Etruscans. A lot about Etruscans. Apparently they're like Romans, but older. <laughs> and there's murders, and I hope you don't mind if people look backwards a lot. <laughs> anyway, it's the Scorpion with two tails. I don't have too much to say right now. Let's go on to the show. Let's talk about Scorpion with two tails. Let's see what there's to say. Everybody, everybody, it's Anna and Corey and Josh and special guest Katie. What's the name of our show? Hey, why don't you check it out? Oh, I didn't know if we extended it. <laughs> hey, hey, check it out. You've, you've diverged too much from the format this time, Anna. <laughs> this is the remake. I the name of the show. That's okay. We've only been DJ doing Coward. this for a thousand years. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Hey, Check It Out. I'm Josh Kagan, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Coriander Dickinson, she, her. I'm Anna Wasserman, she, her. And I'm Katie of the Night, she, her. What's that? A different voice? A different person? That's right. We have a guest this week. We have YouTube's Katie of the Night, a uh, giallo exploitation and genre critic enthusiast. And then in addition to that, her and her fella, Zach, have uh, Laughing Windows Productions, where they make short films with great hooves. Um, she actually made this great pair of hooves. Uh, okay, now I don't want to see the hooves. You got to see the hooves. Yeah, this they're in my closet. Video. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. wait, well, this will be the big reveal at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wait, like the end of the beast? Yes. Katie had hooves the entire time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it is not like the end of the beast. <laughs> it's not like the end of the beast. I came across Katie's YouTube channel when I was up at a million o'clock in the morning doing random giallo searches on YouTube, looking for anybody else who loves talking about gialli, who isn't a white guy with glasses. Because if I wanted that, I'd just look in the mirror and be like, isn't Sergio Martino great, Josh? Yeah, Josh, he's great. I don't remember quite the first video of Katie's that I saw, but one of them was definitely uh, five great giallo hunks, which she did with uh, Sweet and Spooky, who's another uh, another genre movie blogger. And my eye immediately went to this and I was like, God damn, this looks like fun. And it was. And all of her stuff is super fun. It is a great balance of really thoughtful critique and analysis with that sort of, with that sort of feel like a lot of people talk about Gialli and genre film and they feel like they have to talk about it in the most film dork smart person way possible to sort of counterbalance the idea that these movies were churned out for an audience who just wanted to see uh, like murders and attractive people. And so they feel like they have like, well, this is a metaphor for fascism and this is that and blah, blah, blah. And Katie does dabble in that, but Katie also understands that this is a good time. It's a good time genre. It is a lot of fun. And there is so much joy in her channel that it has become a favorite of both mine and my wife's. We'll just sit around and watch her stuff and and I heartily encourage you to do the same. Katie, welcome to the big show. Thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words. 
No, no problem. You're great. Uh, you win the brass ring. You win the prize. You get to define Giallo. You get to be the person who says what a Giallo is, Katie. <laughs> so, uh, and so if you want to define it and then give us a little kind of background on your journey to finding it, that would be great. Okay. Well, I'm not going to define it in the most academic way, of course. Good. <laughs> but it is a genre that originated in Italy slash Germany. It kind of combines different elements such as crime, horror, mystery, and murder. The overarching element that you'll see in a lot of Jolly are it's a whodunit mystery. Who is the killer? So it has a lot in common with American slashers, for example. How did I come into it? Suspiria. My friend mm -hmm. showed me Suspiria. But I came at it from another way too. I saw on Instagram, someone once posted a picture of Ava Aulin, the Swedish actress who is in a lot of Jolly, well, in a few Jolly. So I decided I want to see a movie that this girl is in. So I watched Death Laid an Egg. An amazing place to start your Giallo journey because that movie is fucking bananas. I was like, what am I doing? What? Are, why did I watch this? But now here I am, maybe like 130 Jolly Deep. Maybe we'll do Death Laid an Egg one of these episodes. <laughs> it is a, uh, so uh, Death Laid an Egg is a closer to a, there are kind of roughly two kinds of Gialli. There are the Black Glove Killer Gialli, uh, founded by Mario Bava with Blood and Black Lace and the girl who knew too much and then kind of shot into the stratosphere by Dario Argento, uh, who uh, did The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and then set off the golden era wave uh, from like 1970 to 1975. Death Laid an Egg is a closer to a sexy Gialli, which means that they are sort of rich people either driving each other crazy or murdering each other to get a big inheritance. Uh, and this is a movie that it takes place in the, <laughs> in the glamorous world of industrial chicken hatcheries. So there's really egg. Yeah, there is yep. egg. Not only is there egg, but there are fucking eraser head chickens in it and Gina, Gina Lola Brigida. It's it's crazy. Uh, mm. And it is not like it's not like Lindsay's sexy GL. It's not like anything. It is. Uh, it's like a it's almost like an art film. Like it is. Yeah. That's one of the movies that eggheads love to talk about. Uh, <laughs> eggheads. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, that that about sums it up. So the movie we're watching today. Katie, would you define this as a pure Gialli? Oh, no, I wouldn't. It's like a archaeology action crime Jallo. We are talking about 1982's The Scorpion with Two Tails, as Anna sang. This is in the kind of waning days of Gialli, even though people still make them to this day. Uh, 1982 kind of represents not Gialli's last great year, but certainly one of the last years that uh, all of, or like the remaining guys in the game uh, put out, if not their final statements on it, then sort of like their last big statements on it. Uh, 1982 brought us uh, uh, Argento's Tenebrae, which I love dearly. It brought us uh, Lucio Fulci's The New York Ripper, which 
is a hell of a movie uh, and a difficult watch for sure. And then we have Sergio Martino's The Scorpion with Two Tails, uh, which is a compromised movie. And the reason why we're talking about it today is because I shot off my mouth to Katie uh, about it uh, in the stupidest, cis-boyest way possible. We were chatting on Instagram. I don't know how we got into it, but I mentioned, I think we were talking about Martino. Uh, Martino is one of the uh, architects of the Gialli. Uh, he made uh, the great uh, Strange Vices of Mrs. Ward, All the Colors of the Dark, um, uh, and a bunch of others. My beloved uh, Suspicious Death of a minor, which is nobody's favorite Martino, but I fucking love it. And I thought about it a lot while watching the Scorpion with two tails. So I said, Oh, I haven't seen Scorpion with two tails, but nobody has because everybody thinks it sucks. And Katie was like, I really like it. And then my head turned into a donkey's head. And I was like, Oh, I just did the thing that I hate. I had an opinion about a movie without watching it. And also where the fuck do I get off saying I've never watched it. Cause everybody says it's bad. I have a Bartholomew Cubbins stack of Blu-rays up to heaven that have negative 92 stars on Letterboxd. I only watch terrible movies. Why wouldn't I give this a fair shot? And I especially take Katie's opinions about Scratch and Dent Gialli, I, I take it on a higher plane uh, because she did a 22-minute review of Al Festa's 1996 Fatal Frames, which is kind of sort of like if The Room and Samurai Cop was a Gialli, but it is at the same time really interestingly shot and has a million good ideas in it. And it's also a VHS garbage film, and her defense of it is really wonderful. And so I thought, oh, obviously I have shamed myself into watching this movie because I was a dick about it. But if I'm going to watch it, I'm definitely going to want to talk about it with not only somebody who loves it, but somebody who is a big fan of movies that come from the island of Misfit Gialli, which I think would you say a fair assessment of this movie. Yes, I would say so. This is a fascinating film. So a quick word on its history, and then I will try and shut up. This movie began life as a six-hour miniseries for Italian TV, which was then cut down to a three-hour miniseries for European TV, and then cut down again to an hour and 40-minute movie, which is what we all watched. As a result of that winnowing process, it's a little scattershot. But I found it to be really enjoyable once I kind of got out of my head that this was not going to be a Sergio Martino Giallo in the classic vein. This is one of his mix and match Gialli movies, which is why I brought up uh, Suspicious Death of a Minor, which I love. Suspicious Death of a Minor is like Polizia Tesci, Gialli, Herbie the Love Bug movie. Uh, there's a car chase in it that's fucking incredible and set to like wacky Sesame Street music. And this movie, like Katie said, is like a Gialli, Indiana Jones ripoff. It's kind of also like a mummy movie. It's basically like people disturb a tomb and then shit happens movie. And then it's also sort of a Giallo. And so once you kind of put out of your mind like, oh, this is going to be like Mrs. Ward or this is going to be like this, and you sort of accept like, this is a movie to be taken on its own terms. It's a lot of goddamn fun. Katie, what are your, what was your first time watching this movie and sort of what are your opening thoughts about it? Well, the first time I watched it, I've only seen it twice, by the way. So the first time I watched the movie, I loved it. 
I got online, wrote this review, just raving about, I think I gave it four out of five stars or something. And then I read everyone else's reviews to find out that everyone generally hated it. Now I will say upon watching it again, the problems with the film are a lot more apparent, but I think especially the lead actor in the film uh, who played Joan, she really made the movie for me. And I love this, this different sort of setting, this archaeological aspect to it. There's a 1972 movie with the delightful title, The Dead Are Alive, with an actual exclamation point, which is also about intrigue around Etruscan remains, uh, which I should watch at some point. It's not generally a place where Gialli are set. Taken on its own merits, like I said, it's super fun. It's a little disjointed, obviously, but considering the rep the movie has for being a jumbled mess, it definitely has a plot from beginning to end that you can follow. And let's say nice things about Joan, because I agree, I thought she was great. At first, Katie, I found myself thinking like, she's no Boucher, she's no Fennec, but she is a really solid, she's a solid 80s giallo lead. I thought you were gonna say she's a solid eight. No, <laughs> no, we will not. We will only be objectifying boys on this show uh, because we're going to be talking about both John Saxon, who's hunky, mm. and Claudio Casanelli. <laughs> you left out of your hunks list, and we're going to talk about that. But let's talk about Elvira Audrey for a second. She didn't do a lot of movies. This was only her second film and I think her first lead. And then after that, she did like parts in some Commedia Sexy dell'Italiana. She did a movie with uh, Umberto Lenzi called Iron Master, which I think was like a uh, uh, like a Conan or maybe a post-apocalyptic type movie. And then some TV and then sadly passed away very young. She, uh, she died mm -hmm. when she was 40. She's great in this. She really, she's kind of a combination of like, like a Fennec and a Boucher in that in some scenes, she's sort of like, oh no, help, I need I need to be saved. And then in some of these, and then some of the shots, and especially near the end, she really takes charge and drives the movie. And uh, you feel for her and you relate to her and you want to follow her through this adventure. And you're psyched for her by the end of the film with the exception of one thing, which we will get to when we talk about the end of the movie. But I agree, Katie, she's great. And it's a solid cast all around. Anna, what did you think? Opening thoughts on the Scorpion with two tails. Uh, well, okay. So I gave it three stars on Letterboxd because I thought this is going to be another one of those ones where where I think I, I start out by saying it was fine. And then by the end, you guys convinced me that it's better than fine. I honestly like, I like the back half of the movie. The first hour or so i found kind of draggy yeah. and i think that's part of why like i'm not wholeheartedly endorsing it but i really did like it when it started going bananas yes because that's that's what i enjoy is when things go bananas and and if you're lucky they go bananas at the beginning <laughs> Yes. Uh, Sergio Martino, his career took a really interesting direction because his movies got progressively crazier and crazier. Hmm. And I think that's because he directed so many Commedia Sexy dell'Italiana, which are like Benny Hill movies in uh, Italian okay. in the 1970s. So you can actually see that wacky influence on uh, Suspicious Death. But he also made a movie in the 80s called American Rickshaw, which is at Katie, have hmm. you seen American Rickshaw? No. Okay, first of all, uh, your boy uh, Donald Pleasance is in it, and he goes 
that shit crazy. The highest recommendation for you specifically. And uh, he just stopped because his movies in the 70s start off like they're very measured. They're very thoughtful. They follow their own chain of logic. They are weird and psychedelic in places, but they are they're oddly rooted and grounded considering that he made movies about people with like blood fetishes and who were in sex cults. Mm. This movie goes so crazy in the last 40 minutes that any kind of ill will, like Anna said, any ill will you might have towards it, you're just sort of like, ah, Sergio, you duns it again. Corey, what'd you think of Scorpion? I had a great time watching it. I felt like it honestly did a lot of the footwork to make sure that the plot itself wasn't confusing. You're never like, why are they here? Yeah. It also it got big, like, choose your own adventure Indiana Jones game vibes in it. Uh, And the music's really fun. Oh, let's shout out the music because uh, that's our our boy, the maestro Fabio Frizzi. He does fulci stuff. That's what Wikipedia says. (laughs) Also, he did like a puppet master movie in like 2018. Oh, was it the big big budget one? That one's... I have complicated feelings about that film. Um... (laughs) What okay, so not knowing any of this, not knowing to bring respect, um, I was like, this feels like discount goblin. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I so, feel bad even saying it. <laughs> it's like so when we're talking about the later era of Giallo and Amer- and uh, Italian uh genre film, the two big people you get are Simonetti slash goblin who have a very distinctive sound. And then Fabio Frizzi, who has, who for his Fulci movies, he did the Beyond soundtrack. He did all Fulci's stuff, I believe. And he kind of charts his own path. It's still very synthy and very guitar-y, but it is in a different way. Uh, And I would just say for this movie, it is kind of a halfway point between his more goblin-y stuff and his Fulci-er stuff. His Beyond soundtrack is one of my favorites, and I think it's really interesting. They're re-releasing the movie. He did a new soundtrack for it. Hmm. Is this his strongest work? New, but is he still great? Yes. It didn't all sound like Discount Goblin. It was more like, mm-hmm. quote unquote, which is, like, which is just like my frame of reference. Like when I say that, it's like, well, this sounds goblin because I have seen seven gel. Mm-hmm. There's little yeah. bits in Suspiria where it sounds like Christmas time, just from mm. all the bells and whatnot. And those are definitely yes. featured in this soundtrack. And it's very repetitive. Yeah, it's just when yeah. it got when it got like there were points where it got Cynthia and I'm like, huh, was this guy in Goblin? Is he aping Goblin? I have only this frame of reference. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's definitely one of the greats and definitely charted his own path. Uh, cool. But uh, I think his soundtrack in this is solid. The soundtrack is cohesive. The movie is cohesive. And I from all of the bad press that I've read about it over the last few years that I've been following this stuff. I expected the whole thing to just be a giant broken Rubik's Cube mess. And again, it is shockingly cohesive considering it was trimmed down from like 600 minutes. I have so much trouble like imagining what the six hour version of this is like, because while it's probably like a Doctor Who for episode arc, I guess, (laughs) I guess. Right. Because like we've watched things on the show that we that have been trimmed down and it was kind of obvious that there's a longer version out there that we didn't get to see this didn't feel like that like i wasn't seeing like oh i can see five like another four and a half hours of content that should be here 
good job editing down six hours into an hour and 40. I would be fascinated to see the six hour version. And I think I would be happier to watch. I think the three hour version is probably would probably be the sweet spot, mm-hmm. but Another one of Martino's miniseries is finally coming uh, to U.S. video. He made a Giallo miniseries starring and co-produced by Edwige Fenech, who was kind of the muse in his early Gialli uh, and just one of the Gialli queens in general, called Private Crimes. So I'm very interested in seeing an actual six-hour Martino miniseries because I think mm. that will speak to how this might have flowed. And I feel like if that does well for Severin, then somebody is going to bust out the six hour or at least the three hour Scorpion with two tails because every dork in the world will buy it and I will be one of them. Yes, highly rated Scorpion with two tails. (laughs) Public is clamoring for it, Josh, clamoring. (laughs) People will buy if it comes out and if it comes out in a hundred and thousand ADP and <laughs> it's, you know, and there's a bunch of commentaries and shit, people, people will buy this shit. I do. People like to collect. They'll just buy it to collect it. Listen, I'm yes. not one to deny the collector's urge. No. Should we start? Um, I get it. Yeah. We should. Let's- let us get into it. Uh, right. We open on an underground cave filled with ancient timey people wearing all kinds of robes and weird metal masks and shit. We're in some like Temple of Doom type territory. Uh, and these are the Etruscans who are like the prequel to the ancient Romans. They're just like, they're mad, mad old. Uh, and they're doing rites and incantations and things of that nature. And we get our opening credits. And on my version, the version released, by full moon there was a thing on it that i have not seen in a movie since uh watching mystery science theater which is instead of just presenting the italian title uh with a little subtitle underneath they just chiron a big very modern like the scorpion with two tails over it mm-hmm. yep that was present in the 2b version yeah and i was like i haven't seen this in ages since i saw like cave dwellers on mst3k what a nice throwback to like the early days of vhs and like uh movies uh you know on three o'clock in the morning on tv and we get our opening credits and one other thing to note uh this movie was co-written by ernesto gastaldi who wrote every other gialli and practically every other movie in Italy between 1959 and 1985. He's one of the absolute all-time greats um, and wrote basically all of mine and Katie's favorite movies too. And then we get into the meat of what's happening here. We see uh, some nice young Etruscan kids, fresh-faced, standing by a pit of smoke and uh, one by one, their necks are snapped and they fall into the sulfurous pit. How easy is it to snap someone's neck? Because from this film, I... <laughs> okay. oh, I'm so glad. I've heard, I've heard 80 pounds of force. Maybe it's just that the people in this movie have um, like hickory sticks for necks. I don't know. It's certainly what it sounds like because that's the, yeah. the special, the special like effect is necks. definitely a whole thing of celery being broken. God. It looks like they're trying to make everyone the amazing screw off head. Like they they do the full 180 and it looks like they're going to grab them for like the 360. And then I don't know uh-huh. what magic happens at that point. But like there's a man chanting in a mask and we've got the flute music playing the main theme. And he's like eviscerating an animal and looking at its innards. And then he's got these shiny rocks, which I would like to talk about because they look delicious. 
Ooh, they do. I want yes. to eat the forbidden candy. So I will <laughs> refer to it as such. They're like lollipops without the sticks. Yeah, like oh, they're big and round. So it's not like not like <laughs> a Jolly Rancher, but not not like a Jolly Rancher. They look like they have good mouthfeel. There is definitely a point in the movie where somebody has a uh, a giant D20 die filled with yes. these things, and it's just like Etruscan grandma candy. Yeah, I would have that D20 on my table. I kind of want to build one for myself. I've never had the urge to have grandma candy on my coffee table, but I think I would do it like this. Anyways, if you like shiny rocks and people getting their necks twisted you are in the right movie because this happens 80,000 million times and then we cut to a modern day uh for 1982 uh sitting room in the new york city and we meet joan who goes and she wakes up with a start because this is the dream that she's having she's got long blonde hair and she just woke up this way every single Mm -hmm. time Yes, Jolly is very famous for women falling dead asleep, taking naps, or just going to bed for the night with a full face of makeup. (laughs) Just so you look extra fresh in the morning. Then she takes her fur coat for a walk through New York City. What a great coat. Um, And they shot this, a lot lot of these movies are shot, not unlike Doctor Who, which you just said, a lot of these Mm -hmm. exteriors are shot on location, and then everything interior is shot in Italy. But they actually, they... They went to New York City and they shot here and probably bumped into uh, uh, Murder Rock and, uh, you know, whatever else was being shot there at the time. For New York, they always use the World Trade Center as the, like, set piece, right? It's like, eesh. This will last forever. Of course we got to take a picture of this. Where (laughs) is this going? New York's most notable buildings. Yeah, this is not never going anywhere. (laughs) It's just such a great coat. There are a million reasons why I enjoy watching Katie's stuff, but... She always will take a minute, no matter how deep she is getting, to go like, great coat, great hat, great dress, great living room. These are important things that we have to talk about. Troy Howarth never mentions great coats, and it makes me mad. Nathaniel Nathaniel Thompson never says, and here's Nevis Navarro in an amazing hat. Never. None of these people, not even Sam Deegan. Nobody says great hat. Katie does, and that's why I like her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> She says lots of smart things, too, but it's important to balance these things. <laughs> Anyways, Joan is taking her fabulous fur coat uh, for a walk, uh, and she is uh, she is meeting uh, Scientist Mike, a.k.a. Pa- Palo Melco. He needs his head twisted right now. Oh, he's yes. bad. <laughs> he is. Mm. This is in a in a genre of questionable leading men skeevy leading men uh look there are two kinds generally they are so handsome that you're like well you suck but you're really handsome fabio testi and what have you done to solange is a fine example of this uh he is very handsome and he is terrible in that movie Unfortunately, Paolo Melco does not have handsomeness to fall back on. He's a little reedy. He did a couple other, uh, he hasn't done a ton of Gialli. I believe he was in Watch Me When I Kill. Uh, people, Fulci fans will know him from House by the Cemetery. And he was in New York Ripper, right? And those were like right next to each other. So he's one of the, <laughs> he's rare, one of the rare people who was like, I'll work with Fulci twice because <laughs> Fulci was tough on an actor. <laughs> What well, happened to his eyes, Josh? Oh, uh, they've seen too much. They gotta go. Uh, it's my favorite Fulci quote. Why, so Fulci? Why do you, why do you hate eyes? They've seen too much. 
It's fine that he's a nerd because he's an archaeologist and he's running verb roots for Etruscan on his computer, which he refers to as a monster, which is a term I love. So she's like, I had this weird dream and blah, blah, blah. And the Etruscans visited me. And he was like, well, it's probably because you had an argument with your husband. You know what you should do? We should fuck. And and she does not. He's terrible. And she does not pick up his computer and break it over his head. She's just like, Mike, stop. Like, I'd never speak Etruscan in your dreams to you, babe. And he touches her hair in a gross oh way. <laughs> what is it John Cusack says in High Fidelity? It's like he, he like tries to go for home when he's been cut off at like first base. <laughs> uh, Katie, uh, do, you, do you have any defense for uh, archaeologist Mike? Or what was your impression of him the first time you watched it? Don't like him. Yeah. Yeah, we're, it's unanimous. Gross. That guy sucks gross. and he's gross. And unfortunately, he's our hero. That <laughs> is just too bad. Yeah, not my hero. He is our. He is our. He's our male protagonist. Joan finds some photos on the desk, and she's like, "What are these? They've got Arthur's writing on the back. He's my husband. I know his handwriting intimately." And Mike's like, "Oh yeah, we got those sent in the mail." And then she freaks out. She starts to shake, and there's maggots. Hope you like maggots. This is the third like motif of the film is maggots. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely uh, fly maggots, all white and wriggly. And they like multiply on the photos and she actually like sticks her fingies in there. And you know what I was thinking when she was doing that? I was picturing this actress putting her hands in maggots. And I thought I would do that. If I could be in a movie. <laughs> Would you also cover your hands in glue and then glue some maggots to your fingers? Yes. For a movie, I would. Because of this scene and several others, but this, this spurred it. Jen and I both looked at each other and we both started quoting Lost Boys. Yes. You're eating maggots, Michael. <laughs> and so then every subsequent time maggots showed up in the film, we did it again. I have to believe that maggots were just real cheap in Italy <laughs> because uh, because once uh, once I, I I don't want to say Suspiria is the first movie with a real maggot freak out. But once that door was kicked open, it was full of fucking maggots and everybody. <laughs> That's what happens. Covered yeah. their goddamn movies in them. And don't... this movie is no exception. So Joan is like, maggots, yeah. And then they all disappear and she looks at her hands. And unfortunately, the glue <laughs> is still on her hands. No, it's not. It's all gone. She swooned into Mike's strong waiting arms and he's there to help her from seeing things, you know? Here's another thing about the movie that took me a little while to, I think, just like understand and accept about it is that the film has reach. The film wants to reach for a certain level of quality and the budget is not always there to support it. And I think partly because, because I know you and you, you respect a movie that tries to surmount its budget, whether it succeeds or fails. I was able to be like, okay, yeah, no, this movie wants to be more expensive than it is, but it's damn it. It's still trying. The 1980s were a tough time for the Italian film industry in general. Italy didn't get TV 
it didn't get good TV or more than one TV channel until late into the 70s. And once that happened, uh, combined with Italy sort of going full into its what they call the years of lead, which meant just a lot of like social strife in the streets, a lot of riots, a lot of kidnappings, a lot of drive-bys, a lot of explosions, that sort of things. People didn't go to the movies as much. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is, American blockbusters started happening like Star Wars and Jaws and Italy was real good at things like horror movies and sexy comedies and things of that nature. But once American special effects got real good, Italy couldn't hang. And so the combination of like people just not going to the movies as much, but also Italian budgets not being able to compete with American budgets everyone started running out of money and the movies started looking real cheap. That's the position that all of these guys found themselves in. Martino found himself in this position. Even Argento kind of found himself in this position. Uh, Fulci especially did, which is why Fulci's last few movies looked like they were shot on video. Um, so it's a, it's a tough time in general. And the none of these movies were ever big budget affairs, but now they were really cut off at the knees. Um, so that's kind of, that's one of the reasons why things look real cheapy is because mm -hmm. the film industry was completely falling apart but wasn't this shot for a mini series like a full six hours yes so it they would have been stretching the budget for like the whole shoot right yeah totally mm -hmm. and tv budgets were already smaller than film budgets so it just like it just it's kind of like when america like in america they released the battlestar galactica pilot as a movie and people saw it in theaters and was like I can see glue. Why are you doing this? <laughs> this doesn't work on TV. Anyways. Um, so yeah, it's a, it is a lower budget movie and it probably was never meant to be seen in a theater. <laughs> we cut to the location in the photographs and Arthur is there and he puts on his sunglasses and reads from a stone monument. And I swoon. Cause it's John Saxon. John handsome Saxon. He's the best. God damn, he's the best. The cutest receding hairline in the biz. Um, if you've watched more than one genre movie, you have seen John Saxon on, this, on the American side of things. He was uh, Heather Langkamp's dad in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3. Mm. And he comes back in uh, New Nightmare as himself. Right. He was in the very first Giallo. The Girl Who Noob Too Much with Mario Bava. And he's in one of the best yellow, uh, Tenebrae, uh, which I I'd love and adore. He's just generally great. And I saw him and I was like, ah, now it's a John Saxon movie. I can't wait to enjoy him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a Sean Bean fan on the first episode of Kendra's. God damn it. So Arthur's got uh, busy archaeology stuff to do, and his two minders up on the hill are like, lunchtime. He's like, no, I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, they're really mad that he says, no, I don't want to have lunch. Yeah, yeah they're like, well, I'm not going to get bit by snakes out here. <laughs> they're like the guys who protect Michael Corle Corleone in uh, Italy. Like they're just like big peasant guys with like guns. And it's like, why does an archaeologist need muscle? Mm. We'll find out soon. Arthur hears the sound of a pan flute, a double flute, the a two forked flute, and he takes yeah. his sunglasses off and walks towards the sound. But then the old man who's playing the flute is like, whoa, watch out there. And there's a snake. 
And he was just warned about snakes. And the old man goes, or sorry, I had two hands. Uh, uh, and the snake goes away. And John Saxon's like, oh, thank you. And the old guy was like, he wasn't going to bite you. Uh-huh. He said, he's not going to bite you. You're not Italian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's So Italian snakes are racist. No. Everybody hates Americans. Well, oh, it's, that's true. I couldn't tell if that was a vagary of the dubbing, which is to say mm -hmm. that snake wasn't going to bite you. You're not Italian. Or if that, <laughs> you, that oh, snake's going to bite yeah. you. This movie is dubbed in a way that makes Speed Racer sound uh, lyrical. Subtitles yeah. are necessary for this movie. Some of the subs on the Tubi version were a little bit off, but it was mostly good for when like the main characters are talking down a cardboard tube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the version I found was dubbed, and I was like, eh, it's a giallo, it's probably fine. As far as these things go, it's not the best dub. I think mm. that's Saxon doing his own voice, at least, which is yeah. great, because uh, I love At least it mostly matches up to people's mouths a lot of the time. Well, yeah, and I think this is one of those movies that was probably shot mostly in English. It looked uh, like it. It's hard to tell, though. Anyway, um, all right. So uh, and now the old man is like, I'm also interested in ancient cultures. Hey, let me show you. Or I, I think they bring up the uh, John Saxon says the Etruscans and the old man is like, you mean the somethings? Because he's like, a, that's it. Uh, hmm. Oh, you know, you're an, you're an Etruscan fan. Name three songs. Um, <laughs> Cred checks John Saxon. Uh, and then it's like, oh, well, as long as you're here, let me show you something. Follow me in my 12 sweaters and two scarfs and one long coat that I have over one single arm. <laughs> he is dressed a little like Steven Tyler. Um, <laughs> and now we go back to uh, New York City and uh, Joan is having another bad dream. She's having another dream about the spooky cave and the spooky smoke. But wait, her husband, John Saxon, is there. Surely nothing bad will happen to him. But no. He gets his head snapped backwards, like most of the cast. Joan has a vision of Arthur running to a vision of Joan in a toga and a wig. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's carrying he's carrying a cartoon hatchet, and he runs towards right. uh, ancient Joan in a wig, and is like, "I'm gonna chirp you," and then he gets his neck snapped. Rip to that guy. Never see him again. It's like he's going to murder her, but he can't bear to do it because her glory is too great. Like he falls to his knees. It's cool. And then he gets his neck snapped. And then he gets his neck snapped. But also when I say I did not recognize Joan in a wig <laughs> at all. It's, I guess, a kind of a good wig. I don't know. I'm not. Which one? The blonde faces. one? The brown <laughs> one. Uh, Wait, is she wearing two wigs? Is this the is this the Joan with two wigs? Is one of those not are neither of those her natural hair, do we think? As far as I can tell, she may not own real hair. I don't have any insight into wigs. Oh. And neither do I. All right. Well, it's a it's a mystery. One of them the mystery of the ancient Etruscans. <laughs> She was woken up by a ringing phone, and it's Arthur. He's not coming home, but he's got some crates of antiquities that he wants to, he's going to send to Joan's dad, who I guess runs this whole operation. Mm -hmm. But he's like, tell your father I need the telex. No telex, no nothing, no crates, no, get, tell him. And Joan's like, but what are you talking about? Which he's is like, like mail order money. Yeah. 
Like a banker's check. Zero stones, zero crates. <laughs> and she's like, but I don't want to. Why do you need it? And he's like, because I found an amazing new cavern with all sorts of stuff in it. And then Joan, she's like, oh, the one with the pit? Yeah, <laughs> I dreamed about that. Yeah, it's got a tunnel off the side. Yeah, I've seen it all. You can go to heck. And Arthur's like, how do you even know about that? And something. And wait a minute. And then uh, somebody sneaks up behind Arthur and snorps his neck. Big arms. Big hands. I would say probably about 80 PSI of strength mm. is what is about mm. what I would say. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and snaps his neck. And uh, and this is where we get, this is the first modern day neck snap. And mm. uh, if you're wondering... How do you show a corpse once it's had its neck snapped? If your next thought is put on clothes backwards like fucking crisscross, <laughs> that's what we got. We now see the, the very indignified corpse of Arthur wearing all of his clothes backwards to show that his neck has made the trip all the way around to the back of his uh, back. Uh, and he did. And that is a wrap on John Saxon. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we have to imagine that in the six, that's why you want to watch the six hour version. Oh, Cause that guarantees you at least three hours of John Saxon. <laughs> I would hope. It's in his contract. I, yeah. I should have known something was up when in the opening credits, uh, it says that with the participation of John Saxon. <laughs> Wait, did you get like psychoed? You were like, Oh, I love John Saxon. He's in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I got a little psychoed and I was mm -hmm. sad. Joan hears uh, chanting in English or an ancient language over the phone, and then she faints very slowly next to her bed. <laughs> oh, that was such a nice, gentle faint. So good. Uh, to be a giallo heroine or just an Italian genre heroine, you got to get your swoon on point. And her, she nails it in one. It's a good swoon. Katie just did it for, the, for the, none of you who's going to watch this. Katie just did a pretty sort of scratch swoon. Cut to the two towers. Yes. <laughs> we pan down to the sphere fountain. And now Joan is with her dad, uh, who is uh, who is one of the, I think, is that Van Johnson? I forget his name, but he's like one of those many actors who was huge in America in like the 60s and early 70s and then was not famous and then had to go to Italy, uh, where it was fine. And he did fine. And he is generic old rich guy. And he's like, ah, Joan, stop all your worrying. Arthur just married you because he wanted my money. Have some brandy. Go down to the ranch and forget about this whole, forget about this whole <laughs> listening to your husband being murdered thing. But Papa, my, my husband wanted $100,000 so he could dig up a tomb. You know, if she had gone down to the ranch to chill out, it would have been a Lindsay movie. <laughs> But she's like, I'm, I would go to the ranch, but I am going to Italy. Cut to exterior of a plane. Yay, we're heading to Italy where this scene was shot anyway. <laughs> and she's like, honk shoe, honk shoe, uh, nightmares, uh, uh. And then Mike is in the seat next to her for some uh. reason. And he's like, whoa, babe, calm down. And she's like, hey, Mike, it's so great that you came along, <laughs> even though there's no justification <laughs> oh. for it. Uh, he's also kind of an archaeologist. I guess. I sure. Sure. And who turns down a trip to Italy? Right. Now we are at the house of the Contessa, uh, where uh, <laughs> Arthur was staying. Katie, I don't know if you wanted this to be Edwidge, but I sure did. I wasn't even thinking about it. 
she's got the dark hair and kind of the you know she's got the the the, the eyeliner thing and it's just like and she's just she's a haughty older woman i've seen her in a ton of other stuff i didn't recognize her <laughs> i was just i was like i really know this face but i couldn't quite pinpoint her i had to go look up her filmography but she's been in a lot of stuff that i've seen in this she's very like stiff is that normal hmm did they make her do the robot arms in every movie? <laughs> <laughs> she's pretty hard to understand, too. Yeah. Arthur was staying there, and she's basically like, well, it's a bummer about your husband, but if you're wondering if we heard or saw anything, we absolutely did not. We were all upstairs <laughs> sleeping very loudly, and we don't care about the sound. We thought somebody just went for a late-night snack of ants on a log and broke a thing of celery. <laughs> And Joan's looking at the floor. She's like, my husband's body was here briefly. I can imagine that. Maybe the murderer is one of you. And they're all like, no, we're, we're not. Leave us alone. We can't generate 80 PSI with our twig arms. No, my, my arms barely move. Look at them. We also see that one of the butlers is listening at the door which uh, I assume in the six-hour version, something comes of that. But in this, he's just Snoopy. Yeah. <laughs> I So because of the murder scene, I spent the rest of the movie, anytime we saw a new character, checking out their hands and their arms. and like, ooh, is this Mr. Big Hands yet? Because <laughs> if he's got big hands. Yeah, because if he's got big hands, I've solved this one. If this, if this, if Ivan Rosimov were in this movie, uh, we would be able to, we'd be able to peg the killer right away. Because Eisenreich, if you've ever seen another Jolly movie, and I know he's a favorite of Katie's, uh, Ivan Rosimov is fifty-two feet tall and carved from solid stone. Uh, he is, he was just born to be uh, a bad guy in these movies, and so if he was in this, we'd go. There's your murderer. Uh, hmm. I'm with a handsome fellow. Now we meet the other members of Arthur's party. We have Heather, uh, who is exactly Joan, but a head shorter and is dubbed with just the mm. worst Southern accent. Yeah, she sounds like a little Southern belle, but old. This voice that dubbed her, I think this is the same voice of Carol from Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Edwige's blonde friend. Oh, yeah. Carol, my hero. She's wonderful. And I think I, that's her voice. That's great. Well, she is normally a scratch vocal actor, maybe not great at a southern accent. <laughs> Perhaps not her strong point. I disagree that she's Joan, but but shorter and southern. Okay. I I I, <laughs> I just no, I just think Joan's more Well, for one, Joan knows all about the tomb and Heather doesn't know anything about yeah, no Heather. tomb. Yeah, all blondes don't look the same. Yeah. I just don't like Heather. Let's just let's just brass tax it. I mean, it looks like the same the same uh hair and makeup person like did them next to each other <laughs> and just sort of worked from the same palette. Oh, like sure. their hair oh, is no, no, they definitely have the same hair. Yes. Um Agreed. that's all I meant. I did not mean to lump all blondes together. All, every blonde is is a unique and wonderful person to them. To ourselves. Mm. Katie. So, uh, so we meet Kate, we meet Heather, uh, and then we meet Nick, who looks like a smushed together mashed potato version of like Jeremy Clarkson and Jeff Ross. I wouldn't get too used to him. Like a young Gene Hackman. That's mm. you're being way too nice. These guys look like. He looks like mashed potatoes with a with a with a perm and a he's, pair of binoculars. He's not interesting. He is he's, he's well, a dull man. That's fortunate. 
Everyone talks about a vague curse about the tomb, at which point the entire movie clicked in for me because I was like, oh, it's a mummy movie. Like there are no mummies in it, but it is, mm. it's the classic setup of you fucked with the tomb mm -hmm. and now a bunch of people have to die. And once that clicked in my head, I was like, oh, I know exactly the kind of movie that I'm watching. Like, yeah. and it's weird that it's sold as a giallo at all because it has like some elements and Martino did it and it's got that title, which is very, which sounds exactly like my favorite Martino movie, uh, The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, which is, I think, just one of the best gialli ever. But like once I heard that, I was like, oh, this is this is like a mummy archaeology curse movie. OK, I get it now. Yeah. They're like, we've got a Tomb Raider problem in the area. There's a whole big illegal relic trade. <laughs> And that probably did Arthur in. It was probably ghosts yeah. or whatever. We don't know nothing. Heather's like, hey, Contessa, you're a big fan of Etruscan uh, funeral rites and whatnot. Uh, tell us about Arthur's stuff. Yeah, sure, I am. We can ship all of Arthur's stuff to like your hotel or whatever or look at it later. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, and they're like, great. Let's go to the hotel. Uh, and then we pull up to the hotel where they talk about the name of the hotel. And that never comes up again. But it's just a trust. It's kind of my just... favorite part. Because they're just <laughs> like back and forth. They're just like, oh, Velothry. Oh, they have a TH. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, that the language. I mean, it was interesting from, a, I guess I learned something about the journey of Etruscan to Italian and that they have a th, but they talk about that for a few minutes and then they have a pulse pounding conversation about whether or not Joan wants to sign some papers here or at the paper signing office. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, uh, and I found myself thinking, they cut this down from six hours. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and they left in the paperwork scene. Okay. Um, and now Joan is going through Arthur's belongings. Uh, Mike comes in and says, can I come yeah. in? The correct answer is no. There's a horror sting and he's seen from like two doors down. It's great. And he's like, I don't even know why you're looking through things. The cops look through here. And she's like, no, but we're smart archaeologists. Yeah, you, you dummy. We're probably going to find something that the that the cops didn't because we're smart mm. and they're dumb. Let's look at things. <laughs> and uh, she finds Arthur's day planner. And five days ago, there is a mysterious message. It just says, there are 12 with two exclamation <laughs> points and all caps. And Mike walks up. He's like, there are 12, which is exactly how I would read that message. Mm. Oh, I would go, there are 12. It, it wants you to say it like that. It's like Al B. Sure's name. He has the exclamation point in there for you have to say, I'll be sure. Um, yep. anyways. So then, yeah. So the result of this uh, in our house was that <laughs> every time <laughs> something was like an object or anything was drawn attention to, Jen would be like, I bet there's 12 of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out there's 12 Etruscan city-states, but Arthur mm. already knew that. Why would he make such a big deal? That's not worth two exclamation points in your diary. <laughs> At the very least, maybe an underline. Yeah. Um, I also love how they throw this around like, any fucking idiot knows there are 12 Etruscan city-states. Jesus. Duh. I mean, Duh. yeah. Well, the next page says there's a jeweler and it gives the name of the jeweler. So they go to the jeweler's place and we get a shot of a brass plate with like, you know, just someone practicing their head twisting game. <laughs> uh, before before we go any further, the jeweler's <laughs> name is Lindsay, yep. uh, which 
That's not not on purpose, I assume. Uh, they, I have to assume that's a reference to Umberto Lenzi, who was uh, one of uh, one of the top great Italian genre directors and one of the certainly one of the great giallo directors. Were Lindsay and Martino friends? I don't think. I mean, it's completely possible, but it seems like Lindsay didn't have any friends uh, because <laughs> if you anyone who did it. No, These are the movies of a lonely man. <laughs> no. Uh, Le- Lindsay, if you've ever seen interviews with him, he is an outspoken dickhead. Uh, and he is the kind of guy who's just like, I inv- <laughs> I invented the giallo. I invented film. You know what? <laughs> Fucking, you know who he's like? Anytime anybody brings up another Italian director around uh, Lindsay. Lindsay turns into Bella Lugosi from Ed Wood. He's just like, so he's like, oh, well, you're like, fuck him. <laughs> fuck Argento. He stole everything. Fuck Martino. Fuck the Giallo. I invented this. I had all the ideas for Star Wars and everything. Kiss my ass. So he's he's the Harlan Ellison of Gialli. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Um. So now uh, we are looking at our ladies and gentlemen are and and people of all genders our title character has entered the building welcome <laughs> will you the scorpion with two tails so it's a lot a smaller than i thought yeah it's a little it's a thin little necklace of a scorpion and it has a bifurcated tail and a couple little jewels and it's uh you know it's okay it, it ain't no scorpion from uh, the case of the scorpion's tail, which I want one of them. There's like, those are, that's a beautiful little pin or brooch and it's real nice. This, this looks like somebody was like, ah, quick run to the gumball machine and just keep turning the thing until the scorpion comes out. I will say this <laughs> less disappointing reveal than the bird with the crystal plumage is actual bird with the supposedly crystal plumage. Agreed. Spoilers. But. <laughs> When they bust out the actual bird with the crystal plumage in Suspiria, that bird kicks ass. Well, I don't remember that. Oh, the very last scene, spoiler, where she's killing the head witch or whatever. <laughs> there's like a, there's a big fucking crystal bird in it. And it's just right. like, oh, there it is. It finally, finally made it. It must have been like late on the metro. And it took it like five years to get to uh, Argento. It got stuck in the mail. He's always wanted to have a proper crystal bird. Now he's done it. So the jeweler's like, your husband found this. He wanted me to put it on a chain for you. And she's like, oh, I think I already own this. I love this thing. This is my favorite thing. And he's like, okay, I'll take that back from you. And then he puts it in a little case and they talk about how there's an illegal relic trade and people stealing crap from, you know, local tombs. And he wraps it up all nicely for her just off camera. Which is a weird thing to do. Is like, oh, your husband gave this to us to put on a chain to give to you as a gift and still gift wraps it. Even though she's like, I'm standing right here. But she's also like, hey, you're not accusing my husband of being a relic thief, are you? And he's like, oh, posh, no. I mean, the uh, the original owner of this died thousands of years ago. But yeah, he's sort of a relic thief. Yeah. Now we're at some ruins. We hear that old bifurcated flute. We see a statue of an old guy playing that flute. And Joan kind of, <laughs> Joan does a lot of hazy walking in this. Yeah. And she does some. She does She's some, in a trance. Uh, I'd put finger quotes around that. Got the good for, for our listeners. Yeah. And there's 12 of those flute statues. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a carved relief. Yeah, carved reliefs. <laughs> 
Okay. So I have friends in the SCA that would play penny whistle. And the big mm. thing to do was stick two of them up your nose. And so every time this flute comes in, they pan <laughs> up from the bottom. <laughs> and I always expect, despite knowing that it's a forked flute, I always expect two flutes up the nose. Maybe that's in the six hour version as well. <laughs> Is that what you do in the SCA? I thought you pretended to hit each other with wooden swords. You actually hit each other. Yeah. Or hit each other with pretend swords. I don't know. That's it. Yes, it's real hitting pretend swords. But let's not overlook giant turkey legs. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yep. Is that more Renfair? Is there a difference? I'm about to get. Now I'm going to get beat to death with it. <laughs> You're going to get letters. I sure am. Uh, let's save this conversation for never. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Joan is, as she spends, I would say, 40% of the movie walking in a kind of weird bug-eyed trance towards the music. And she walks past a skeezy photographer who is taking pictures of what I put in my notes as two Italian apparel models as opposed to American apparel. Mm -hmm. Fanny, Fanny, squat. It was giving a, a Instagram influencers. Oh, my my dude, my my sister in Jolly. Uh, there are women, there are people in Silver Lake and the hipster enclaves of my stupid gross city dressed like this as we speak. It's, it's the shorts with the little line up the side and the crop top shirts. Um, and uh, you get the feeling that Martino was just like, he was probably shooting a Commedia Sexy dell'Italiana at the same time. And it was like, hey gals, Get over here. Okay, great. You're here now. And uh, they're getting their pictures taken by a guy who we will know as Andrucci, but right now just seems like a rando skeevy photographer. Mm -hmm. From up top of the cliff, Heather's like, hey, Mike, you should get her back to town. She's doing weird crap, like wandering around this tourist site. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Go get your girl. Oh, uh, a woman's doing something unsupervised. Quick. Mm -hmm. Nick follows her down the path and lingers for a really, really long time in the photo shoot zone. <laughs> yeah, weird. It's, uh, it's off-putting. And I love that he printed those pictures with yeah. him standing in the background, standing yeah. there. Yep. I love that uh, it matters later. Yeah. <laughs> At all. Yeah. Come on. Now it sounds like you would be accusing Italian genre film of putting beautiful, scantily clad women just because. No, this is for the plot, Corey. <laughs> I honestly was surprised at the like the um like the lack of sexiness in this movie all all, all told. Oh yeah. This is this is not it almost feels as if somebody like looked at the script and went can we get we get two can you put at least two hot women in this for like <laughs> fine okay katie this is like a jollo for kids this can be the jollo you can watch with your children <laughs> watch this with my niece and nephew and see what happens they'll start twisting each other's heads and then never uh -oh. stop it's like it's a, and maggots you'll have so many maggots I don't think either of them can generate 80 PSI yet with their tiny little hands. It's interesting that you bring it up, Katie, because I was uh, I was rewatching some of uh, my favorite bits of yours today to be fresh for this. And I watched your uh, five favorites for beginners and you shouted out uh, Case of the Scorpion's Tail because that is also a decidedly not at all sexy Gialli. Like, it's just... 
There's not much of, I mean, it's not particularly violent. It's not particularly, I think these two movies would make an interesting double feature as they do come uh, 10 years apart. Um, There's not, they don't have a ton in common besides uh, titles, but they're like, they're both movies that I would absolutely say, even if you don't watch genre films or particularly violent, sexy, that's not your bag. These movies would be good for you. Yeah, definitely. Cut back to the stone flute player. Joan approaches and rubs her hands all over its face. And then she sees a, a tasty looking rock in the wall. And she pulls out this uh-huh. big grape and <laughs> looks at it. And then there's like figures from old timey Etruscan times in a smoky cave up on top of the cliff. And she sees them. And then the statue's eyes pop out and there's maggots and it's crying maggots. It's like the slot machine paid off maggots. Anna. I bet there's 12 rocks. <laughs> I didn't count the rocks. There's definitely at least 12 the maggots. <laughs> Actually, some of the maggots are pupating in this, so they've been That's there for right. a couple weeks. Maybe they got discount maggots. I think this was like the last day of shooting with this batch of maggots. What <laughs> did you think the maggots were like? They go for last. scale or something? They got the they got the acting maggots. <laughs> it was their last day on set. <laughs> so yeah, so she grabs the thing and she has a vision of uh, oh, why, before the maggots all pour out, she I think uh, Corey said that, but she has a vision of like this toe-haired white boy froed golden faced we looks like one of the young fresh faced kids who got their neck snapped at the very beginning of the movie and she has a vision of herself in a wig and then has a vision of arthur getting his neck snapped and then of nick getting his neck snapped and then she's just like and thank god skeevy mike is there to be like that's enough being away from men. Come on. He says, no more tombs today. <laughs> Condescending son of a bitch. Oh, no. He just means that tomorrow's Tombsday. <laughs> anyway, um, they get back to the rest of the group and Heather is getting her palm read. Uh, by some oh, yeah. uh, by some Romani uh, by like a Romani child and uh, and it's Joan's turn and Joan's like eh, no that's okay and the palm reader is like oh but don't you you need to have your future read oh grantor of gifts nice shiny stone you found there you know what you're gonna find more stones and Mike's like more. this is nonsense here's more money to give us a better fortune <laughs> that's right it never occurred to me when i'm having my four i hate that one here's twenty dollars oh you're gonna be a millionaire thanks and it's refused because like what could you give the giver of gifts enter one of the two italian peril girls uh she uh uh bounces onto the screen uh and she's just like dead guy in backwards jacket dead guy in backwards jacket <laughs> it's nick oh no bye nick Nobody's going to miss you. You were boring and weird. Um, Now Joan is laying awake at night. Just she's not asleep, but she's just having visions of an old guy playing the flutes. She leaves her uh, room and walks around in the dark slash day for night towards flute dude. The hotel has a swimming pool. Flute dude's on one side. Joan wanders aimlessly to the other side. And then they have a conversation across the pool. They talk about. You know, things, the cycles of life, 
um and also whatever and joan's like do you know who killed my husband and he's like tomorrow you will see the light cut to new york city drum solo sick (laughs) ass drum solo oh my god right this rocks The drum solo and the pulsing bass with like all the lights of the city flashing. I had my fingers crossed for a good old fashioned giallo nightclub scene. I don't know what I was expecting, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But you will agree with me that the best gialli have at least one nightclub scene. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's why this one isn't. Yeah, sad. Instead, we cut to a really boring <laughs> office uh, because this is a low-budge affair. Uh, just a boring office with a bunch, an indeterminate number, one might even say. Too many to count, uh, possibly. Too many. You couldn't. You couldn't. I would say somewhere between 10 and 13, but I couldn't peg it's, it down It's more to than else. you would want to spend your night opening. How many, how many boxes do you, like, is your maximum? Like one or two, my dude. Yeah, I mean, I only have a two-bedroom apartment. I've never gotten anything in a giant in a giant crate, so I don't know. Maybe it's fun. Oh, let's remember this for Anna's birthday. <laughs> Please no. We see Joan's dad with some uh, some guys who are not not mafia, <laughs> and Joan's dad is very excitable, and he's like, "We gotta find the one with the mark, the mark, the mark," and he finds one that has like literally the Zodiac killer symbol on it, and he's like, "That's it." Uh, it's right here. Don't you worry, uh, men. The other guy with the suit's like, all right, boys, open it up. And the two suited boys are wearing sunglasses at night and indoors. And they pull sure. out some tip- tin snips and a pry bar and open her up mm-hmm. for real, real. Looks like a good time. And it's uh, a bunch of lovely Etruscan vases. And Joan's dad is very not cool with this turn of events. So much styrofoam. So, I Okay. Here's, I have questions about how this was packed. In a lot of styrofoam. They put it bubble wrap not, at the top. It does not seem it does not seem like there are sufficient Etruscan artifacts to justify the size of the boxes. Secondly, you don't want them touching the each styrofoam's other. Styrofoam's all underneath them. It's not protecting them significantly. They there was no breakage, Anna. Styrofoam. What are you complaining about? I'm complaining about the lack of, of, of like I'm complaining about the whole thing. If you go and read the, the letterbox reviews, uh, most of people's problems with this are the poor packing protocol. <laughs> well, then that's what I, that I accept. Furious, them. furious about it. You know what, Anna? I bet in the six hour version, they have a conversation. Like The mafia guys are like, eh, these are improperly packed in Van Johnson's. Well, like they had to do it in a hurry. And so normally, blah, blah, blah. Oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Instead, Joan's dad's like, they probably marked the wrong one. It's probably in here somewhere. And the other guy's like, eh, we're not going to stay here opening boxes all night. You have two weeks. And so Joan's dad <laughs> does a really very hasty check of every single box. And it would be very easy to mistake this man for a person who loves vases. Because he just <laughs> he's just like touching all the vases. He hugs one. <laughs> Like, it's two kinds of styrofoam, too. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it's just such a mess. And we pull back on the man hugging the vase, and there's another vase in the foreground with a beardy flute player, like an old-timey mm. milk crate. Like, just like, have you seen this lost bad <laughs> <laughs> flute player? Uh, 
uh, okay. So, uh, we are now, uh, oh yeah. So we cut from the flute, flute bro on the vase to, uh, actual flute bro. And he is leading Joan through the forest and he takes her to his special cave and is like, uh, well, here we are. The special cave? That doesn't, that's It's his gross. only cave. Why does this one have to be special? Because he's telling her about it. He's like, nobody else knows about this cave. Well, it's drippy and it's dark. Mm. And it's full of sulfur smoke. Uh, and she's like, all right, well, show me. And he's like, it is you who has to show me. Oh, oh, immor oh immortal one. And we come to realize that this is the... Uh, this is the cave and cavern from her dreams of neck snaps. Yeah. And there's like a noise and he, she's like, what's that sound? And he's like, it's Karen breathing. Charoon. I like Karen better. It is Karen <laughs> complaining to the manager. Her breath smells like old eggs. <laughs> that sounds about right. And uh, and she's like, I recognize this place. I recognize the vapors. This is all from my dream. But I've never been to Italy or Europe. And she's like, I feel like I'm coming back. And the old man's like, immortals always come back. I'd like to take the temperature of the room. If a stranger refers to you twice as an immortal, would you maybe ask them to walk that cat backwards? Be like, hey, why do you keep saying that? <laughs> Get out of there. Why are you already at a second location? Hit the bricks. <laughs> never, follow, never follow into a pipe player to a second <laughs> Or a second flute. <laughs> the old man's like, I always knew you would return. I have no sons or grandsons, but now I know it is time. And she very reasonably asks, time for what? And then he says, I don't know, 27 times. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What's a cave? And she's like, shut up. Give me that lamp. And she walks away. And he practically dissolves into darkness. But we do actually see him turn away and walk out to nowhere. Yeah. This is an old man who has previously said that he doesn't know anything because he's old. And I'm like, you should know more stuff because you're old. That's usually how it works. And when he said, you know, I don't have any family, I don't have any sons. And I'm here with you, and I know that it's time. I thought oh. she was gonna kill him. Oh, not babies, not make babies together. No, that's what I not secure oh. the line. Yes, the way the way you led into that, Katie. I was like, <laughs> did she think the old man was gonna be like, let's get to it? And then so he puts down his two Damn. flutes and picks up two bass guitars. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be some sort of sacrifice, like the immortal came back to sacrifice this family line or something. Uh -huh. oh. I think for this old man, you wouldn't even need 80 PSI. No. <laughs> like like bones. Yeah. This guy, you can tell, not a lot of milk. You can, you can just <laughs> real easy, like a childproof cap. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so now Joan takes the lamp and I was, this is just a little dark. It's like a little like genie lamp. And I was like, I don't yeah. know if I, I don't know if oh, I've yeah. ever seen it's a lamp. Like old oil lamp. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one of these be used in a non genie context. And I was just like, oh, that's how they work. That's neat. 
in the background, the music's like someone noodling on a guitar, like a very slow and mournful solo. <laughs> and she walks down a path and just like scrapes at the dust and finds a drawing of a scorpion. And the scorpion has two tails. Dun, dun. I was like, oh, she's going to take her necklace. She's going to do the thing where people have like a necklace on and she's just going to pull it right off and she's going to lay it in there and something's going to happen. But that is not what happened. Maybe in the six hour version. Maybe. This is where I made a note to myself that this transfer sucks. God, it sucks. Mm. I think this would probably be a good looking movie if the blacks were actually blacks and everything wasn't all pixel. Uh, uh, mad. Um, anyways, uh, but now she finds a crate and it is filled with drugs. <laughs> it could be any white powder. You're right. Yeah. My mistake. It could be maybe laxative. It could be, it could be talcum powder. It could be, it's drugs. But she's like, there are 12 crates. And one <laughs> is drugs. And then she hears a scream. Wow. And then she, because she is a heroine in 1980. No, the heroine's in the crate. Ah, oh. <laughs> Of course, uh, the slightest thing causes her to fall over and drop her lamp and she just flails and she's like, ah, the lights, the lights. Now I can't see anything, even though it is really well lit. In this cave. <laughs> old man, old man, where are you? Old man. Even though I know this came from my dreams, I don't know where I am and it's dark, even though it isn't. <laughs> and she's like, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you helping me? Even though you just screamed in distress yourself. <laughs> And then she's beset by what I can only describe as a perfect line of rats. Like they're all waiting for the bus. How did they make their eyes red? Do rats' eyes just do that? I think it's I think it's the lighting. But also rats have little red eyes, don't they? Do they? I think Some... it depends on the lighting. I think it depends on the rat. Alright. Um, so by very real, like a very perfect line of rats like they're all waiting to check out at the grocery or something and then uh also some delightfully fake bats <laughs> yeah. flown over from house by the cemetery <laughs> which has probably the greatest fake bat scene in the history of the art form um and so she like waves rats, ah, bats rats cobwebs blah and she finds yeah. her way out and the old man is gone oh <gasps> She flails down a roadway and falls against a fence, and then a car pulls up, and then she gets grabbed. Yep. And the movie definitely wants us to know that this is a rolls. Oh, is that what the hood ornament means? I think. Is that, oh. is that a rolls? Or it's a Bentley. It's one of the two. Um, it's a fancy person car. It's a car. That's all I know. Cut to airplane. <laughs> the movie? Uh, da, 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 da. Shirley. Don't call uh, me Shirley. Anyway. Uh okay. So uh we cut to an airplane and uh and Joan's dad now uh lands in Italy and uh in a movie that was cut down from six hours, we get every second of him haggling with a cab driver. He's like <laughs> Take me to the hotel that has a the in it. Uh, and you're like, well, that's going to be real far and real expensive. And he's like, I don't care. I'm rich. Can you see I'm all huffy uh, and red? That's, I'm an American rich guy. And they're like, fine. And then and he's like, all right, it's going to take a long time. Ten seconds later, we're at the hotel. <laughs> Heather and Mike are there. Joan's missing. Oops. And Joan's dad is like, all right, well, who's got a car? Because I got to go do mysterious stuff. That cab driver is going to have to find somebody who wants to go all the way back to the airport. 
That's true. Well, hopefully they made it worth his while. Although he does I want to see the six hour cut where we follow him around for a little bit. That's the six hours. That's why it's six hours because I can see the entire ride back to Rome. The cabbie's the perspective character. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like uh, uh, Italian realism. Yes. About his life and how difficult it is to be a cab driver. Yes. It's the the cab thief. We go back to the Contessa's giant house with her giant room that she meets people in that have maps all over the wall. And they talk about how sometimes, you know what? When you're in our business, people get dead. What are you going to do? And then the dad's like, do you know where Joan is? And she's like, why would I know? And he's like, bitch, come on. And she's like, yeah, she's upstairs and sends her two <laughs> huge beefy bodyguards who are here for no apparent reason to go get Joan and strong arm her back, even though she's done nothing wrong. But they were just like, here she is. Fine. Here's Joan. And the dad comments on it. It's like, whoa, those are beefy lads. And she's like, well, there's nothing stopping you from having a private army nowadays. <laughs> so nothing true. at all. Nothing at all. Um, uh, so, and Joan is, uh, once she's like, Dad, it's so great that you're here. Hey, as long as I've got you here, you're a fucking drug smuggler, you weirdo. And the dad's like, <laughs> you're making a big deal out of nothing. Am I a drug smuggler? Yes. Yes, I am. We don't all get to choose our paths in life. I'm just the in-between person. Let me tell you about the $700 million in heroin that we should yeah. be selling on the streets and causing people to get hooked on an overdose. It's a victim of time. And Joan's like, wait, you probably had my husband killed. And he's like, no, no, no. We think the head twisting was to throw the cops off. <laughs> what? It was an unfortunate breakdancing accident. What? <laughs> wouldn't that make the cops more interested say hey joan do you, do you know where that crate with 300 pads of heroin was any chance yeah. you know, there's a severe lack of cops in this movie yeah good they're in the periphery it's like they all got trimmed out or something maybe it is <laughs> we don't know how many cops that that taxi driver had 12. to deal with 12? Oh. <laughs> there are 12. There are 12. Um, I, you know, and that's the thing in the movie's favor. Uh, every, I feel like every Giallo commentary quotes Alfred Hitchcock saying, why don't my movies have uh, cops in them? Because they're boring. And it's true. For the most part, the Gialli that have, uh, that, that have cop leads in them, they're a little more boring. Is that what ACAP stands for? <laughs> All cops are boring. All cops I'm are boring. i keep that theory in mind. As I watch more Jolly. I will, I will, I don't know how many more you can watch, first of all, because you've watched more than anybody else on the planet, probably. <laughs> um, you, she may, she puts my scorecard to shame. But also, the exception being, I think one of your, it does, is it so sweet, so dead that has a cop lead in it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's there are exceptions to the rule, but generally cops in Jolly are useless and stupid. Um, aren't some Jolly like, partially police procedurals though they can be and those aren't and those aren't the best it's not one of those things where it's like a heart because there are no and katie can also back me up on this when you try and apply hard and fast rules to gialli 
Jolly sort of slips and slithers around them. It's a very difficult subgenre to pin down because it's kind of a magpie subgenre. It's got a bunch of other things in them. And like as you get further and further past the golden era, you get Gialli Poliziotteschi. You get Gialli horror movies. You get like this, Gialli Readers of the Lost Ark Mummy movies. <laughs> So it's not like the intersection of crime and murder is where we, the police force, and our hard-boiled detectives solve crimes, mysteries. Oh, there are, but there. Now that said, there are a few that are exactly like that, and those aren't my favorite ones, but they they definitely exist. But hmm. generally, very generally speaking, when you're talking about a classic Argento Bava guy running around stabbing motherfuckers type movie, your lead is going to be more like Joan, and this is the this mm -hmm. is like the trope of the amateur detective. That's probably the thing this has most in common uh, with Gialli is that Joan is our person who should not be solving things, but has to solve things. Fair. Anyway, dad, you're dealing drugs. What gives? And he's like, look, this is a very difficult, touchy situation. And I'm not going to play on your heartstrings or anything. But you can either not tell me where those are or you can have a dead murdered father. And Joan's like, fine, let's go. It's in a cave. We cut to outside and there's some dark gloved person assembling a target pistol with like a hand carved grip for both hands and a little scope on it. And we see like Joan, her dad, the Contessa, etc., walking out to a car, getting in the car and then like down the scope, the murderer is like, Oh, I've got you now. Kabam. And it turns out the car's bulletproof. Yep. Mm. Um, and everybody goes, ah, drive, drive. Uh, and the uh, the shooter uh, gives chase on a motorcycle. Um, and I was kind of fingers crossed for a classic, what have they done to your daughters slash strip nude for your killer uh, motorcycle killer, but mm -hmm. uh, does not stick around long. Short-lived. Weird because they're driving a Maserati motorcycle and Maserati only made those in the 50s. Hmm. Really? Yeah, like the branch of the company that made them was liquidated in 1960. Okay. Are you a vintage? Motorcycle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian's a, a motorcycle vintage motorcycle oh, person. Okay. Uh, My partner. Yes. He did flat track racing. He has a little old Lorton from the 50s. Hmm. Oh, shit. You should watch. Uh, uh, which one? Uh, my, your vice is a locked room and only I hold the key because that has some great motor. That's the only Gialli I can think of that also has motocross in it <laughs> and like flat track racing. Um, and it's just fucking great. Uh, also Sergio Martino. Anyway. Um, okay. So they, uh, they drive to the, oh no. Okay. So the shooter who we come to find out is Heather uh, runs into the cave and is like, Hey, uh, somebody, Come on, where are you? Let's get that drugs. Uh, we see close-ups of maggots on an eye. She finds a dead old man, the dead old pan flute guy, and is like, mm. oh, funny joke. Ha ha ha. No, come on. Where's our where's my drugs? Uh, and then she gets her neck snapped. Bye, Heather. <laughs> and we go back outside. There's two cars now because the Contessa used her fancy car phone to phone up some backup. And just like the whole squad goes up into the cave. They walk in and they Oof. find there's just so many deads. 
They find a, they find a dead old man. They find a dead Heather. They have almost no reaction to either. They're just like, what are you going to do? Joan has a big cry about the old man. But then I guess the Heather reveal is just like too much. Yeah. Uh, and then Joan finds another magic marble. Uh, and <laughs> Joan's like, yeah, Joan's just like, I'm going to hang my old buddy marble. And they're like, hey, we should really find that crate. And then Joan just... And this is where the booby hatch jive part of the movie begins because mm -hmm. she's just like, she's standing and she's like, this grotto has purifying vapors and magic Etruscan stuff. Sons of the hot bowels of the earth, which sounds like a put down. Yeah. She's, she's upset that the Contessa's only thinking about money and the value of the relics they could mm -hmm. find in the tomb. She's just like, this is a sacred place, not just a money pit. It's more of a sulfur pit, you know? <laughs> Not just the money pit starring Tom Hanks. How dare you offend these respected, beautiful hot bowels? <laughs> <laughs> they birthed man. Fine, let's go find your drugs. See you later, hot bowels. And then they... <laughs> and then some goons show up and start shooting. <laughs> and now... And now, very briefly, the movie does turn into a Plezio Teshi because it's just like, it's a good old-fashioned, not a single survivor, shoot him out. Guns a-blazing. 95% of our cast is gacked. Yeah, right. Like, Joan's it's the like, first hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, good. Now I won't have to try to keep all these characters straight anymore. So much for a mortal, huh, Joan? A lot of them have very long deaths, though. That's true. I've um, got to say, I bet the kill count in this movie is really high. I did not count how many deaths we had. I will say, this is the first time we see people die not from having their necks snapped. Mm -hmm. Which I wasn't sure was going to happen at all in this movie. Yeah, Joan's lying on the ground like, Charon, Charon, help me. And then the pit explodes and rocks fall. And everyone gets crushed by rocks or explosions. Everyone who wasn't shot has <laughs> yeah. a giant styrofoam boulder dropped on them. And then we cut to the exterior of the cave and it's just fire. Vesuvius. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's now it's a it's a terrible Holocaust. This is the point at which I was like, oh, this movie needed to needed more dollars on it. Yeah, this is like an hour in. Yeah, I have seen better cave ins, but I respect that the cave in happened regardless. Look. Actually, you know what? This is about a tokusatsu level cave-in, and I put up with those on a nigh-weekly basis. It's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now Joan is in surgery. Found by who? Brought there by who? Oh. Uh, maybe God. The, 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 the police that didn't die? It's Mike. Know, it looks like Mike. Mike is uh, <laughs> now we get the only way I want to see Mike, which is behind one of those like patterned glass uh, things where you can't quite make out faces, but yeah. you can see his stupid mustache. Just mosaic out his face, please, for the rest of the movie. Yes, uh, blurred, <laughs> blurred out for being offensive. Um, like Japanese pornography stuff. Yes, uh, they uh, they take out the bullet, and the doctor comes out and is like, "Yeah, she's 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 doing great." Uh, we pulled the bullet out. It stopped right next to her heart. It's like her periocardial stopped it. You might even say it was a miracle. <laughs> and Mike's like, I want to speak with her. And the surgeon's like, she's still under anesthetic. <laughs> Do you understand what surgery is? <laughs> I'm a white guy. I get everything I want. <laughs> Let me in. Joan. Um, now. Cut to Joan's fine. 
Yeah, Joan's totally fine. She's at the police station and she signs the <laughs> everyone God, died. She see. signs the everyone died certificate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they're like, now go back to New York like a like a good girl who hasn't told us the details we know. And she's like, well, guess what? I'm not going back to New York because I'm staying in Italy. To solve the mystery. Which I assume was the end of an episode. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think to look for those, Anna. That's really smart. Well, I didn't, but just it was so strikingly like, yeah. like, well, actually. Yeah. Tune now in that next I know week. it was episodic. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a really interesting. Now I want to kind of go back and watch it for that. Mike drives Joan to the cave site. They get stopped by the cops. Yeah, the cops are like, as the craziest thing, this all exploded and there was fire. <laughs> you got to get a day pass if you want to come in here. Yeah, you can't. You got to you got to go to the Etruscan Board of Tourism and get a laminate. <laughs> and just then a car pulls up and a chorus of angels sing because Claudio Casanelli is here uh, to take this movie and carry it on his back the rest of the way. Let great. me say some nice things about Claudio Casanelli because I fucking love him. He didn't do a ton of Gialli. Uh, he he was an actor from like the 1960s on and he bounced back and forth between doing like Italian genre stuff. He's in a bunch of Lindsay's Poliziotesci. He is in some other horror films and he also did like serious art films like uh, Damiano. Damiano. I know that sounds like I just made up that name. It's a name like <laughs> it's that name sort of. Uh, he did like artsy you know like real uh type films and he also did genre films he is in two really terrific uh 1975 1976 hybrid he's in what have they done to your daughters which is massimo delamano's sort of kind of not sequel but extension of what have they done for just Solange. and then he is also in the movie that i've mentioned eight thousand times uh suspicious death of a minor and uh in those two movies, he's real foxy. He, uh, in 1982, he is, uh, he's been enjoying the fruits of a good career and he is fuller of face, uh, as, as most old men are, uh, like myself, but he is still absolutely dreamy and he's so good, uh, in those two movies I just mentioned. And anytime he shows up in a movie, it is just, it's a gift. This was, I think the second to the last Martino movie he did because tragically he passed away on the set of Martino's hands of steel, which I think is like a post-apocalyptic action film. Uh, he died in a terrible helicopter crash. Uh, so, uh, not only is yeah. he dreaming, Dreamy, but he was tragically short-lived, uh, which is real sad because I think he's great. He's okay in this movie, but it's just nice to see him. And the next time you do a hunky guys of Gialli, Katie, <laughs> mention my boy. Because the guy's, the guy's dreamy. He has a likable face. He's He's not a certifiable hunk. <laughs> But he's no George Hilton. He is no, no, he's a, he's, he's a different kind than George Hilton. He's a little, no, he's like a little, he's a little doughy. He's a little softer. He's just, he's so fucking, you know what it is in suspicious death. He's just so cool. He is like, he's funky. Yeah. You know who he reminds me of in suspicious death. He's got a real Elliot Gould vibe, which is that kind of like, 
I shouldn't think he's handsome, but he's so self-possessed and he's so chill. I think he could have had a great American acting career as well. Like I, I look, I just got, I have a crush on the guy. He's great. Is he in your top five uh, Jello hunks? He's my number one. He's, I think oh, he's my number right. one. Uh, and then Hilton, of course, but. So he pulls up in a car with a passenger and gets out just in time to hear Joan be like, well, I was the archaeologist Arthur's wife. Let me in. Which, by the way, is the greatest don't you know who I am. Don't you know who I am? Maybe you've heard of him. It's Arthur. Arthur the archaeologist. <laughs> Receding hairline, cute little nose. Arthur. Sunglasses. <laughs> sometimes sunglasses, sometimes not, depending on nothing. The cute little nose. <laughs> Claudio Casanelli runs up to her and starts touching her face and being like, it's incredible. Mike's like, whoa, fresh, hands off. <laughs> yeah. This one's mine. That's my <laughs> girl who I touch without her consent. <laughs> what are you doing? And he's like, well, my name is Paolo, and she looks like a painting that I study in the Etruscan tomb. It's uh, uncanny. She looks just like the painting. Let's That's not go. how he talks. <laughs> it's me, ethnocentrism. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, then his mom slash associate professor gets out of the car. She looks like a lady detective. Well, that's interesting. Oh, oh, she does. She looks like an Agatha Christie character. She does. Uh, Professor Mom Marple. Uh, and Sorry, she comes so. out and she is also like, uh, oh, you're right. She looks exactly like our wall lady. Holy shit. And Claudio Casanelli, who is Paolo, says, uh, oh, hey, it's funny. Uh, we had an extra ticket for the ride. We have a fast pass. We like your vibe. We like your <laughs> from, from across the blockade. This exact meme. Yes, we were checking you out from our car, and we really like your vibe. You want to come look at some old ruins with us? Joan's like, Mike, may I? Ugh. And he's like, well, as long as you have her back to the hotel at sunset. And Mike is pissed. Ooh, he's yeah, some other dude was touching his stuff. Yeah. And then he doesn't get to come along. Oh. The way he just like gets back in the car without saying a word, I was like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Joan like chases the car. She's like, Mike, Mike, are you okay? Mike, I promise it's not forever. I just cannot roll my eyes enough at him. Boy, Mike sucks. <laughs> yeah, this coming. Anyways, uh, so uh, Paolo then turns to uh, Joan and very naturally says, you are the light. It's an Etruscan expression. And she's like, I know. And that happens eight <laughs> more times where somebody is, <laughs> somebody just mansplains. Somebody. Uh, yeah, well, it's, Same it's Claudio. Somebody. It's Claudio. It's Claudio. Look, I can, I, I can fix Your him. Your boyfriend uh, keeps doing it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's cute. He looks like young, old, young Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's yeah. darling. What? He's got like the wispy brown hair that's a little bit curly, and he's got giant glasses. He looks like the grown-up version of the kid who played uh, young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I. Oh, okay, yes. I see not a young Ke Benedict Cumberbatch. No, not, not a young than old Benedict Cumberbatch. Anyway. Paolo Sorensen <laughs> and Joan enter the tunnels. There's caution yep. tape everywhere, and the roof is being held up by two-by-fours. Perfect. Joan like fondles a vase and we see ancient cave paintings. Uh, and then we see, we see paintings, cave paintings. They're very obviously like 
actual, I think, cave paintings. And then we see the painting of ancient Joan in a wig, which looks like it was done 45 minutes ago with magic mm-hmm. markers. And Joan is like fondling a sphinx with a hat. And then she looks over and makes eye contact with the painting and then like it's real up close. There's like a staring contest between Joan and this wall. So the painting doesn't look that much like Joan. It's a little shorter than she is. You're right. It's oh, so it looks like Heather. (laughs) Triumphant drink. Oh, yeah, they do look just alike. You're so right. Most blondes do, Katie. (laughs) So she says, Kehari, and then she walks away from the wall and then turns back to look at the wall and then follows like, well, we'll find out what it says when the professor is done. You know, the thing is about Etruscan is that it's really easy to translate because their letters are just like ours. But who even knows what the words could possibly mean? At which point, Joan is like, I know (laughs) that she reads the wall. Yeah. Kari, Alukamon, grantor of gifts sacred treasure at the uh, eternal banquet and uh mrs marple professor marple or whatever Corey said that was probably more right than what i said marple's on on point oh she's okay, definitely great. a marple she says the lucamon well first of all you got to get them all and then uh <laughs> 12 thank you the 12 there are 12 lucamon they have eternal life cycles and i guess you're proof of this because here you are yes Joan hears the voice of the old man with the flute, like, the immortals always come back. doodly doodly do. And the painting's wearing the same necklace. Oh, no. She walks in on Mike talking to some shady-ass characters, including uh, the sleazy photographer. And they're going to go get that crate, and they're going to get those drugs once and for all, and now we're going to be done with it. Great idea. No notes. Now they are gambling through the forest. And and Mike's like, hey, I got a question. Why are we doing this? Even though he planned it. Right. Mike sucks. I feel like Mike thought she wanted it, so he did it without asking her. And now he's questioning it because he's an idiot. They enter the tomb uh, and it, it dumps some rocks on them, uh, but not mm-hmm. too many. Just enough to be like, hey, welcome back. Here's some rocks. Enough Ooh. for some screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joan says, uh, all right. There. That's where we have to dig. We dig there. Somebody go outside and, uh, you know, keep watch. They send Mike on lookout. Yeah. Hey, Mike, do us a favor. Go uh, walk to the nearest CVS. Yes, we understand (laughs) that's back in America. And get us some chiclets. Uh, And you never see Mike again and he drowns. Drowns walking (laughs) out to the (laughs) He never gets the chiclets and he sucks. Uh, Then they pull out a giant drill. And in my heart, I was like, yay, a giant drill. This is still a murdering movie. Somebody's going to get that in their head or gut. Oh, no. It doesn't happen. And now I'm going to have to go watch My Dear Killer and City of the Living Dead so I can get my fill of people being murdered by giant (laughs) drills. Sorry, this is a head-twisting movie. All this stupid drill does is its job, which is to drill through some rock, which they I think do. My Bloody Valentine has has a giant drill kill in it, probably. Oh, yeah. As does the uh, movie Driller Killer, as does, sure. I want to say, Slumber Party Part 2. Yeah, Part 2 with the guitar drill. Yeah. Bo is Afraid also has a drill kill. Baby Oopsie has a drill kill. You love <laughs> Baby Oopsie I so much. This. 
Your love of baby oopsie. You know what? We're going to have you on the show again. Oh, wait, but I bet, Anna, have you seen baby oopsie? Because you're, I have, you're. No, I only. I am strictly a puppet master girl. Oh, my mistake. That's not entirely true. Uh, puppet master and anything they released for like a three year period in my teens. Sure. So no evil bong movies for you. Not so far, <laughs> but once you make a series with enough movies in it, I start to go, hmm, maybe I should watch all of those. There are well, like there, there's like eight of them. They must be worthwhile. Uh, wow, you are you are so a sucker <laughs> for Charles Band. Yeah, Charles Band is like, oh, is that true, young lady? Well, please come this way. Might oh, I, I interest you in Evil Bong One through the fuck? Here, here we go. <laughs> Darcy's like, in know, one. You know, you know. I've, yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of Puppet Master movies, and I've got like a baseline. I just maybe I should maybe calibrate a little bit more on the on the modern full moon productions. I could watch all the gender dead men's too. Have you heard about what baby oopsie has to offer you? Three baby oopsies, I believe. I don't know if that's sufficient. Well, There's barely enough demonic toys for my liking. The next release is coming out this month. They are doing um, a spinoff of demonic toys like Baby Oopsie, but now they're doing the Jack in the Box. Oh, boy. So Jack Attack is coming out August 25th. <laughs> That's that Pixar short, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a genuinely great title for a shitty movie about a killer mm -hmm. Jack in the Box. That is terrific. God bless. I mean, I watched Doctor the Puppet Master spinoff Dr. Death, and I'm still, I'm still watching movies. I haven't given up. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't kill your spirit no it didn't destroy my spirit it, it was like an hour and 15 minutes that i caught maybe could have used more productively but you know completion is important to me well you know what's been productive the drill yeah. and drucci oh. pulls out a camera with a wide angle lens and just like shoves it in the hole and then produces like an instamatic of what's behind the hole which happens to be great yay it's great we love it. It's great. It's great. Mike crawls through the hole and he opens up the crate and it is drugless. It is empty. Mm -hmm. And Joan's like, were you just saying that because we've got two weird goon grave robbers here? <laughs> and then so she crawls through the hole and looks at the empty box herself just to verify. She's basically like, but there should be like $700 million of it. Um, uh, uh. And Mike's like, shush, we don't say the H word in front of the hired help. And the hired hands are like, there's heroin in there, don't you think? Yeah, you do. Joan, don't embarrass me in front of the oily <laughs> drifters. Uh oh, incidentally, the, the, the oily drifter who's not the photographer was my like was was my top pick for the guy for guy with big arms and hands for quite a while. Oh, he is size. He's a husky dude. Now it's night. We are back at Joan's hotel. Mm -hmm. And we see we see Paolo handsomely sneaking around Joan's bedroom. He bangs <laughs> on the window, which is the size of an entire wall, and which she sleep. I would I draw the shades. I'm just gonna put it here. She's on the second floor. Yeah. He had to Roxanne's way up. <laughs> he does the thing that nobody wants to be woken up like this by going pound on the no, Joan, 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 hey, let me hey, in. Hey, it's a dude you just met. Yeah. Let me into your bedroom. And she's basically like, oh, Paolo, let me get the window for you. Yeah. 
So, my mistake. I'm sorry I didn't let you in sooner, but I was sleeping and it's two o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh, the guy at the door wouldn't let me in. So I had to, yeah. I had to do the second most rational thing. Mike's not here. <laughs> I then, don't know. I defer to any man. Yeah. If you were here to see Mike, Mike's not here. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. My bed was cold. I'm a woman in an Italian genre movie. I need at least one guy to sign off on this. Then the hotel room phone goes off, buzz, 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 and she gets a call from the front desk. It's like, hey, some, uh... Like the customs guys are about to show up. Yeah, some customs government oh, officials right. are about to show up, and she's like, oh, they're already here. Yeah, but before that, Mike is like, hey, I'm sorry, I had to break into your hotel Paolo. to tell you two, to, to Paolo, uh, yes. to tell you two very important things. Number one, your translation was completely correct. And she goes, I know. No, she doesn't, <laughs> but she should. And then the other thing is, we weren't the first people to go rummaging around in that tomb. We found a cigarette that was two months old because it was moldy. We had our best forensic <laughs> cigarette filter person put on it. <laughs> And they were like, there's mold. This is exactly two months old. Uh, and that's when the phone rings and then the custom guys show up and they're <laughs> like, you, Joan? All right, you got to come downtown because we got to talk to you about some custom stuff, as is our custom. Hey, guy, you Mike? No, he's gone. Good. That guy sucks. Everybody <laughs> in Italy knows that Mike sucks. So we're really happy to hear he's not here. And also, you seem a lot more handsome. Let's go. <laughs> Isn't Joan a little bit like, yeah, I haven't seen Mike in a while. That's worrisome. And the cops are like, hey, this cave that we're at, this ancient burial tomb full of sulfur gases, we brought you down here to look at something. It is the cavern where they just were to find the empty crate. And now the cops have found the empty crate as well. Ooh. And they're like, what do you know about this crate? And she was like, I don't know. I, I Ask me about Etruscan stuff so I can yell, I know, again. Uh, because I don't know about crates or anything. And the cop is like, how you, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just open that up and tell me what's in there? And she opens it up and it is, yay, it's a dead mite. Christmas uh, in August. It's finally. Christmas in August. It's a stupid dead Mike, and his head's on backwards, and his face looks weird. But I guess that's what happens when your face gets turned backwards. I don't know. I just thought it was. Uh, I just thought it was budget again. And Joan, instead of celebrating, screams and runs from the cave. Ah, just runs away completely. Now she is standing atop a cliff looking at what I'm sure was amazing scenery if this wasn't such a shitty transfer. The whole city without like the TH in it. There's like a castle on the hill. There's just a big valley. And she's like standing in the wind on top of this cliff and grasping a forbidden candy. And like the wind is knocking rocks down the hill. It's precarious. And a magic marble rolls towards her. Yeah. Uh, and she picks it up and she's she now it's marble vision uh she sees herself in a cavern and she's reaching for an axe the same way that arthur was reaching for an axe in the vision she had of arthur it's the axe he dropped it's the axe he dropped yeah and then she sees herself about to get her head twisted off by herself and then it's a statue holding her head instead of her holding her own head yes <laughs> so at this point at this point joan prime well, I guess secondary Joan, because Joan Prime is having the dream about Joan holding blonde Joan. Joan. Yes. Blonde Joan is having a dream of other blonde Joan watching other other blonde Joan <laughs> about to be strangled by redheaded Joan. So second Joan 
grabs the axe and starts running towards redheaded Joan, but then redheaded Joan turns into statue Joan and she takes a chunk out of her head and you know what comes out? Our old buddy maggots. Here they are again. One more time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're real tiny and eventually we'll be flies. (laughs) (laughs) So Paula grabs uh, Joan's arm and she's like, whoa, I've awakened from my trance and her hand is covered in blood. And then he wipes off the blood, but her hand isn't cut. Where did that blood come from? And I have one idea because maybe it's that time of the month. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that wait? (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah. not my understanding as to where the blood you can blood just get blood anywhere these days yeah huh. is that <laughs> hmm. well these days, not like it's, back in the old days it's not my job to correct you <laughs> so I'm gonna take your word for it that sometimes it just you just have a stigmata period I know <laughs> yeah weird um <laughs> So, uh, so he wipes the blood away, and, and he goes, "But where to go?" And she's like, "I'm adamantium." And he goes, "Okay." Uh, and uh, they're like, "You know, who we should go talk to. Obviously, who's the last guy Mike talked to? Andrucci, the scuzzy photographer, the guy who mm. looks like the combination of Polanski and Argento. Let's go talk to that guy. He literally looks like Argento, uh, okay. except with a little Polanski." So they get in the car, they drive to his place, they find out his location. Whoever tells him tells them where he is, is like, he's not there, but they roll up and the lights are all on, so they knock at the door, and then a big silhouette shrinky-dinks into this tinier man, who's like, uh, what do you want? And they're like, where are your friends? And he's like, I don't have any friends. And then he opens the door, he's like, oh, I recognize you, Joan. Hey, you guys are great. Hey, guys. Come on in. (laughs) He does a real 180 on that. He's like, oh, I know who you are. Let me give you a tour. This is the giant room uh, where I take pictures of sexy models and togas because the Trushka and and to his word there are uh, two uh, two foxy ladies and one foxy fella all dra- all togaed out in front of a big face and he's like Etruscans they're really hot right now that's what that's the, the newsstands can't get enough of this stuff yep he directs the pose a little bit and then he's like take a break kids there's beer in the fridge he like corrects their poses and he's like now remember these for later. Uh, let's go talk. Um, here, let me take you upstairs and we'll drink some wine. Trigger warning, Confederate flag. It's just, it's a hard cut to this whole flag. Katie from the great state of Alabama. Yes. Yes. Hello. I just recently rewatched Delirium Photo of Joy at 1987. I'm pretty sure this same staircase with the same flag is in that movie. Hmm. Well, it's a metal spiral staircase up to a loft area in whatever this photo gallery is. Mm-hmm. And and Richie's dining room table is out there still set. Apparently, he just had a meal with all of the models and some wine. And uh, they all have a conversation around the table about what Arthur was up to. And then Joan gets distracted by a giant D20 on the table. <laughs> This just this big it's just a it's just a big black Dungeons and Dragons dice. And she's like, hey, what's that? And he's like, and and Andrew, she's like, well, I didn't steal it. You know, he's it's very obsidian. Defend- it's worthless. It definitely doesn't sound like it's full of rocks if you pick it up and shake it. And then she opens it up and it is filled with uh, just uh, just all these marbles. Paolo grabs it and is like, these are the stones of life. Yeah. Don't they look tasty? <laughs> 
the more important you were, the more marbles you had in a big black die. It's not just about being old, it's about being important. It's not the years in your days, it's the days in your years, but also marbles. Whoever collected all these marbles was very important and had a very big tomb. Hey, by the way, that's some nice cigarettes you're smoking. You're the only person in Italy who smokes cigarettes in Rob's tombs. You left your cigarette there in the vase. Ha ha. Were you there with John Saxon? And Andrew just like, <gasps> I hope so. Hey, because, like, <laughs> look, me and three other dudes, we helped, we helped uh, Arthur break into the tomb and we needed this many guys because the tomb wasn't the tomb. It was just the antechamber to the tomb. And it's filled with just like so much treasure. So you just, you need a lot of manpower for that kind of tomb, Robin. And we have a flashback where we see him dump his butt in the, Boz, and we see the Sphinx with the hat that Joan was fondling earlier. His cigarette butt. <laughs> so I was like, "Did I look away for something?" Oh Takes a big old dump. Hey, you give me a second. I gotta, I gotta go dump my butt in a vase. If you know what I mean, I'll catch up. Uh, that's that's Gunjili is not agreeing with me. I gotta go dump butt. For a space that is supposedly full of treasure, it is very much not full of treasure. Except for the D20 on top of the Sphinx Except for hat. the D20. Where you dump your butt. <laughs> no, but the, but the, one of the guys is like, look at all the treasure here. We'll be rich. And I'm like, you're going to take this bar relief down to the pawn shop? What are you doing? And Arthur's there like slapping hands like, no touch, no touch, no. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of the goons like grab the D20 while Arthur's not looking. They put it in <laughs> Drushi's backpack. And then he's like, Ugh, I'm choking. Ugh. And Arthur's like, oh, no, we have to get out of here. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good con. It seems to work really well. All right, we gotta go, but we gotta come back because somewhere else, this is just the antechamber. Somewhere else is the and you had Corey. It sounds like you had subtitles. It sounds like what he said was, "We're gonna find the treasure of the dirty capitalist." But I don't think that's what they were saying. Do you happen to remember? Because he says, like, we're going to find the treasure, and it sounds like dirty capitalist. And it's like, well, I guess technically all treasure is treasure of a dirty capitalist. I don't recall specifically. Like, it's like sacred treasure. The dirty capitalist. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And then we're back uh, to Andrucci's table, and, uh, uh, you know, Mike's like, I'm going to go get more wine. And he's gone, and Joan is like, trying to grab the magic marbles because she knows because they're not edible each one of them will be more fruit flavored than the last yeah and then Trinchy goes to get more wine because he's the only one drinking yeah paul's just like take them come on they're your happy marbles you're gonna love them you love marbles and she's like i can't touch them out of respect And then there's yelling downstairs because the models are looking for Androchi and mm. Shone goes down to talk to them. She's like, he went to go get a beverage. And they're like, he's not in the kitchen. He's not anywhere. Is he playing a game with us? Oh, and when Joan couldn't touch the marble, she actually says, uh, I'm not touching them out of respect. And Androchi's not coming back. Yeah. Mm. They have a confrontation in the hallway and... Paulo's like, maybe he ran because we knew we were, he, we were onto him. And then they hear like a glugging noise from a side door. And it's a bottle of yellow that's spilling all over the ground. Yeah. <laughs> of just goop, uh, leftover <laughs> goop from a uh, Lucio Fulci movie. It's like, oh. hey, I'm not going to use all this. You, you guys need any goop? Perfect. We'll just we'll spill it all over the floor. When Fulci offers you goop, you say yes. You t- that's the best goop in Italy. 
No offense, Gwyneth. Uh, anyways, uh, now they turn around, they turn on a light, they turn around, and uh, there is dead Andrucci hanging from the ceiling, but also, so not only has he been hung, but he also had his head turned all the way around. What a way to go. <laughs> they hated his neck. <laughs> Especially sure. fuck your neck, Andrew G. <laughs> fuck everyone else's neck, but fuck your neck, Andrew G. So Paulo drives Joan to the tomb because that's a great idea at this point. Yeah, and let's go. Joan's like, I don't want to touch the rock full of rocks. And he's like, touch the rock full of rocks. And she's like, no, can you carry it for me? And so he carries the D20 full of rocks into the tomb with her. Paolo's like, you only your marble powers will help us find the treasure. And she's like, fine. And she takes the D20 and she says, it belongs on the Sphinx's head. That's not where you dump your butt. That's where you put a D20 full of marbles. And there's a metal grate in the way so they can't get into the Sphinx room. No, they, they walk right around. It's, I couldn't they walk right around. I couldn't draw for you the layout of this tomb. It is a, ah, fuck, I wish I played video games. What's one of the, what's it called when it's like, it makes up a new pu- maze for you every screen that you go to. Oh, it's new- procedurally generated? Yes. The, these these are procedurally generated caverns. There's I no have, rhyme or reason to them. I have no sense of where the tomb is in relationship Look, to the There's a cave. grotto. There's a pit. Yeah. There's uh-huh. a tunnel off the side. <laughs> Just like in the dream. You're right. Where's the tunnel go? Huh? Somewhere. Where? Where's the tomb in a relationship to the grotto? What? <laughs> I know. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so Joan, uh, having to put up with Mike and now Paolo, uh, like any sensible gal, is like, you know what? Given my druthers, I'm going to take my chances with the pit of sulfur and just starts piecing out into the pit of sulfur. And Pal is like, cough, cough. Joan, what are you doing? Cough. Those fumes are poisonous. Cough. Okay, I guess. Wait, stairs? I guess this pit won't turn you into carbonate. And he follows her into the mist. He gets scared by a skeleton, falls down a hole. He just has a real spooky time. He goes through like a mini carnival spook house. Given Joan's experience in the dark with like the rats and the cobwebs and the the bats and then this, are we sure that this isn't just an like an old Etruscan like haunted house? The marbles are just a, that's uh, those are fossilized grapes. They're like, put your hand in here, ha ha! It's eyeballs. <laughs> you murdered me you'll be okay you're back because you're an immortal you are the light i know the immortals always come back so joan walks up a staircase from the deep depths and paulo follows her upstairs to a nice round chamber with some really weird giant statue busts of just these faces that are smiling. I want to mention that the flute player this entire time it looks like he should be like cackling out loud, but he isn't. Yes. Every time you see him and there's one of the statue busts has a little beard. Mm. So we know that's him. Mm. And here we are. Here's where here's where our movie will will wrap up. The climax. <laughs> the, 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 okay. the big the big head room. This is like the John Carpenter room. 
That's a great call, Anna. Yes, this is the movie does go almost the full. It's been it's been trying to break out in Big Trouble in Little Italy for a while now, <laughs> and this is where it loses its fucking mind. But it's also got a little bit of Prince of Darkness in there too. Oh yeah, a great movie. Yeah. Joan starts just doing cuckoo nut nut incantations where she's just like the one great power, the <laughs> cosmic egg, the anti-universe, the white hole. It's so good. This is my favorite part. <laughs> That's nice, dear. That Thank you for telling me about your white hole. Uh, maybe I'll dump my butt in it. Uh, but anyways, where's the treasure? And she's and like up there. Look at that giant diamond in the ceiling. There's a D20 that's been covered in salt and hung on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Jones, Joan keeps saying these, as she points to this thing, she's like, the blind don't know the light exists. Citation needed. Uh, and then she, pretty sure that they understand the concept of light, Joan. They did, nah, never mind. No, it's antimatter, uh, anti-gravity. And Paulo tries to reach towards it. She's like, no, don't. And like a force pushes him away and he like touches the thing. And then there's like light flashes and it pushes yeah. him back. And she's like, idiot yeah you can't touch it there's a void of nothingness between it otherwise the universe would collapse i love this you dummy the the exact line is because i loved it so much matter and antimatter could not exist without gravity or anti-gravity <laughs> truly i love this part so much because it's absolute nonsense yeah but it's weird like, nonsense more like ernesto smoked grass stalty <laughs> sorry <laughs> like it's getting to some dark side shit i love it joan's like all right we brought the the bowl of candy up here and it belongs to the immortals and then we can leave we can just get out of here paulo's like plan b tell me where the real treasure is or i'll kill you because i'm the killer with my big strong hands and he is <gasps> he's a big he's a big meaty gentleman he's got big twisty head hands and he can't take all of the credit but he's been but, yeah. but he's been wearing these like big jackets the whole time, so you can't really tell. I couldn't see how big and head twisty his hands see were. How yeah, me yeah, meaty he was. Mm -hmm. um, Joan drops the D twenty, and the sacred candy scatters along the floor. Paolo and Joan start wrestling. She has visions of maggots coming out of a statue, and Katie. The reason why I watch Gialli, and the reason why I love. Any Italian genre movie is because regardless of the quality, there is always going to be one completely bananas part. That is a thing that you've never seen in a movie before. Katie, what rises out of the pit? Freaking Mike. What? what? Unfortunately, he's still alive. But his head's backwards. Maybe he's an immortal. Yeah, he comes up and he's got his his head is twisted on backwards and everybody goes Aah! and then we get the classic Scooby Doo. <laughs> he unmasks himself, those rascally kids. And he takes out his breathing apparatus which at first I was like, why does he have why does he have a stainless steel orifice stopper in his mouth uh and then i was like oh it's breathing apparatus he was wearing special scuba because he had to be he had to wait and go boo so he had to hide in all of the sulfur so he needed special scuba uh and he takes the thing off and he's like boogity boogity ah, it's just me hey everyone i'm mike guess what questions. palo go ahead you do i have some questions 
Why? This is perfectly reasonable. Mike's how did, with how did Mike days. know to go into this place? Because he, he bought him. How did, because, you know, because he while wanted was, to. The place that nobody knew about until like five minutes ago. Uh, because while he was getting his exact replica mask of his face, (laughs) which maybe is just a thing Mike has on him, but while he was waiting for that, that takes time. There are excellent craftspeople in Italy, but you know, if you want an exact face replica, you gotta wait. So he probably just like, uh, he probably just, uh, you know, uh, asked Jeeves like, Hey, where's the, where are the big heads? And they go, Oh, it's here. It's here, Mike. I mean, he only had to wear that mask for two days and stay down in the sulfur fumes for. <laughs> maybe he, I mean, maybe he just put it on, like when necessary, and just um, wore his clothes backwards the rest of the time to be prepared. Because didn't they have to take him to the morgue? No, well, they, no, well, no, because they it was a, it was a it was a trap. The cops the cops were in on it. They knew he was alive. Yes, yeah. that was that was a whole like oh. there was a whole setup to try to get Joan to confess to the heroine. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Also, he wasn't wearing his clothes backwards because I for the first time I watched this through, I was like, oh, his clothes magically turned around, and then I realized, no, stupid, he was wearing the mask on the back of his head, so his right. clothes were the, the clothes were the You're right. right. Yes. I'm the idiot. Yes, this brilliant movie has foiled you at every step. <laughs> Well, at least we know who the murderer is, who yes, did all Palo- the murderers. And Mike is like, ha ha, I'm Palorce. I'm the Palorceman. And I- you're under arrest, Paolo. <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, no. Paolo's only power is twisting people's heads off, except for his gun. This explains why Mike was so boring. Because he's a cop. Yes, a cop. exactly. Um, and he was... I mean, there's an amazing line coming up, but uh, so Paolo, <laughs> Paolo pulls out his gun and is like, well, now I'll shoot you both. And Mike's like, no, you won't because <laughs> fucking paper beats rock and sulfur beats gun in the old game of rock, paper, sulfur, gun. Uh, and uh, he's real sure of that. I guess he watched that episode of Mr. Wizard twice uh, <laughs> because like, because Paolo's like, well, Click, click, and the gun doesn't work. Jump! Uh, and now it's a boy fight, which turns into a punch fight, which turns into Palo pistol bonking Mike on the head, and Mike is down for the count. And at this point, it's like, well, Palo, you're a murderer, but you did knock out Mike, so I'm still True. kind of in your corner. And you're handsome. And Joan tries to intervene. She's like, get off him. And he's like, well, uh, die, bitch. Yeah. And goes to choke her out. The diamond cube glows ominously, and then big meaty god hands come from nowhere and snaps <laughs> Palo's neck. Oh, that's Karen. I Oh yes. Assume <laughs> they're connected to a person. That they're not just floating hands. Oh, they're not. Yeah, she grabs one of the gobstoppers off the ground. Yeah. From the, the shattered D20 and is like, Sharon, Sharon, save me. And she passes out. So who knows what happened? So at this point, we know there are two neck snappers at play. Well, Paolo was our main neck snapper. Right. But like, where was he? he? Did he? <gasps> I don't, I'm not convinced uh... he snapped all the necks. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. 
there's one scene earlier on where they're walking down the tunnels. I think it's when the old man brings her there mm -hmm. and or Heather when Heather comes in in her bike outfit and there's just like a chase cam on a little hand crawling along the walls. It's great. So I think that's again mm. Karen and I think the one that snapped yeah. Arthur's neck Agreed. at the phone call is also our bodiless arms. <laughs> I was just saying a pair of godly arms. I wasn't implying they weren't attached to anything. I don't know if they're attached to anything. All I mean, we see is the arms. No, there's no evidence that they are, but there's no evidence that they armed. It could be like Fang, but longer. Hang on, everybody stop. Anna's going to laugh at her own joke for a minute. A thing, <laughs> a thing I've never done on this podcast for my own Have joke. Have you not? So, Son of a bitch. Yeah, I've done it. I do it constantly. Josh, I only laugh at my own jokes when nobody else does, which is probably 75% of the time. I have no, I'm sorry. I I clocked that you said armed and I went, that's funny I, because it's a writing joke. Like I saw it spelled out in my head and I was like, armed or not. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck were we talking? Okay. Armed. So wait, so who killed Andrucci? Because I don't think, I think it might, I think Andrucci's death might've been Karen because I don't know how he find, how a uh, uh, handsome boy modeling school finds the time <laughs> to like, sit upstairs there with Joan and then run downstairs, choke him, hang him from the ceiling. Three, yeah. three words. Six hour cut. Fair enough. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paula was in the kitchen when Joan came down. So maybe he, he dipped into the, the dark room for the photography chemicals strangle hang. for a quick strangle yeah. hang. Cause Which Karen doesn't hang people. It's a good point. Hey, what are you guys doing tonight? You want to do an old strangle hang? <laughs> Oh, Michael Hutchins, come on, leave us alone. Oh, too soon. I think the guarantee for the Charon deaths are that there's chanting in ancient language. Yes. Ah. But other than that, it's hard to tell unless we get a viewpoint on the on the head twisting. Yeah. So Joan and uh, Joan and Mike are uh, knocked out, uh, but Paolo is very dead. We and we crossfade from one of the smiling, serene giant heads to the head of old Lady Liberty stock footage. Yeah. Mike and Joan are in the back of the car. He looks like he got the middle seat for some reason, even though there's only two of them. <laughs> he's like clutching one of her hands during this whole conversation. And he's like, mm. I was a cop the whole time. I was lying about knowing anything about archeology. span Are they just talking about this now? Yeah, did they, take a they whole had the whole flight, but she slept on the flight like she does. Oh, I see. Got it. She's very tuckered up. So Joan's first line is basically like, Mike, that's so crazy that you learned everything about Etruscan astrology just to be a fucking narc. It is crazy. And he's like, yeah, it's weird. Apparently it's real easy to pick up. Hey, how did you know that Paula was the murderer? Remember those sleazy photos that were so great? Well, I got my hands on them and we blew them up. And in the teeny tiny corner of them, see? They're blink. Yeah, behind there's Nick the... and those ladies in the cave, yeah. there's this, well, he's this just like silhouette something. Yeah. The silhouette of just about anybody who wears glasses. Recognize those glasses? Yep. So that's how it's done. And uh, you might even say that I'm the hero of the day and I figured everything out. Who wants me? I'm Mike. Where's the heroin? What heroin? Ba, 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 ba. That box was oh, empty the, the whole time. Oh, the cops have it, probably. Wait, no. 
Wait, yeah. No, the cop. Maybe the cops have. Yes, because yeah, Mike because got- because of the whole thing with with Mike trying to lure people out. Yes. Anyways, Mike asks I feel Joan to marry him, and, and she's Ugh. like, "Sure." Yeah. Okay. And they well, smooch. She- and I vomit directly onto <laughs> my keyboard. If it were just that, Corey, you would be well deserved to chunder on your keyboard. But these are the last two lines of the movie. I don't know if I can marry a suspicious cop, says Joan. And Mike says, well, there's one thing you can do for me. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and, then, and then she goes, ha, 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 oh, you. And they kiss and the movie's over. It was so romantic. Yeah. It pulls back to the World Trade Center and the credits roll. Yep. They got the bad ending. Oh. Katie. My husband was watching the end of that movie with me. <laughs> Ever since then, he's been using that line oh, on no! me multiple times a day. Oh. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> You know, you kind of hope that Joan would just save one last neck snap for him, but no. Oh, well. And it's it's actually, it's funny. It's kind of the law of a bunch of different uh, Sergio Martino Giallo that the heroine at the end, not the drug, but the actual heroine, just is like, just gets a guy. The mm. stupidest example of this is the uh, end of the uh, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, where, you know, uh, she, you know, it's the end of the movie. A doctor shows up for like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And many things happen that I won't spoil, but Mrs. Ward suddenly finds herself single and ready to mingle. And the cop <laughs> is just like, or the doctor is just like, well, I guess it's us now. And the same thing happens at Scorpion's Tale, where the lead is just like, well, I don't have any boyfriends. And just some rando is just like, <laughs> now I'm your boyfriend. And she goes, yeah, cool. It's like the end of Candyman, where I wish the next movie was just her snapping necks. Oh, right. better movie, where she's like, yeah, it's my job. I'm uh, I'm the Pokemon. She's I'm the, the last immortal. She gets yeah. to defend the Etruscans. I feel like she never stepped into her goddess role. Katie, yeah. yes. Let's all talk about this for a minute. She is an immortal goddess who cannot die. <laughs> and she's like, well, I guess I'll marry Mike. <laughs> this is making me more and more mad the more I think about this movie. Why wouldn't she stay? Okay, I'm going to start with Katie. Katie, you found out you're an immortal god. What do you do? <laughs> I don't know. I would um, go out there and live a huge life and not fritter away my time with Mike. I mean, I would stick around in Etrusca, Italy, and just be like, what's up? I'm the immortal. How how you like me now? Like, I think I think you want to start a cult or something. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because the proof is right there on the cave wall. Yeah. That's, by the way, that's me for the gram, do a selfie. And then like, oh, you don't think I'm immortal? Cut, heal. How you like me now? Hmm. What do you do with your immortality, Anna? Oh, I dismantle the patriarchy. 
Oh, that's the right answer. Oh, no, that's just what I. That's just what. Yeah, I mean, there's. Look, I'm not gonna, look, you can't dismantle the picture. So many people facing the correct direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a little. You just need to give incentivize it a bit. That's how the Barbie movie was supposed to end originally. <laughs> that was the original draft. Greta Gerwig and Nora Baumbach was like, and then Barbie snaps the patriarchy's necks. No, here's the. Here, well, oh yeah, the patriarchy. I'm like, because you can't snap a. A Ken's neck. Yeah, they just twist. They just rotate. <laughs> gotta pop the head off. Yeah, you gotta yes. pop it right off. And even then, it's probably fine. They're saving that for the sequel. I hope so. Barbie 2. <laughs> Where they get Ken with, like, the ring necklace. <laughs> yes. Maybe they, uh... <laughs> Maybe they go full, like, hard R on it. The Andes. That's the Scorpio with two tails. That's uh, Sergio Martino's last theatrical sort of jolly. From there, he does private crimes. And any movies that he does are like either sexy comedies or he did like a boxing movie. He did a couple of like sci-fi Mad Max movies. And then I think, I honestly, it, it nothing has ever been said like this, but I think uh, Casanelli's death on his set probably took the wind out of his sails and he doesn't make any movies after like 1990 1991 still does tv a little but like but that's it and it's a it's a weird cap to his kind of gialli kind of career but uh as i as i mentioned to katie a couple days ago with the shitty kind of rep that this movie has and now talking about it it's a goddamn hoot next get snapped there's delicious candies it's cromulent. <laughs> it's not, it's a bummer when you think, the only thing that's a bummer for me is when I think about it in terms of like, what was Argento doing in 1982? What was Fulci doing in 82? And what was Martino doing in 82? It's like, yikes. Those two guys made, the first two guys made like late career banger classics. And this is what Martino did. And it's like, so just sort of on it, but on its own, it's like, Nah, it, it cracks along. It's goofy. There's a lot of people wearing jackets backwards. What do you want? Well, Josh, if I was an immortal lady goddess, <laughs> I would That's probably good. fall back on uh, Benson to Moorhead's spring, uh, where I would become a squid lady and ring in the apocalypse. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't ask you. I guess there was part of me that or I forgot to be sorry. I assumed it's you would okay. also be like, take down the patriarchy. <laughs> that was the that was the answer. So we moved on. <laughs> oh, I never have the right answer. Uh, by the way, also, do I think it's hysterical that I was I was the one who decided that's just it's not my job to decide <laughs> to kill the patriarchy. Probably I'm the only person here who's not qualified mm -hmm. to make that call. Um, yeah, I might be up. the inside man. Hey. Hey, maybe. Yeah, I don't really consider you part of the patriarchy, Josh. And that's where you're wrong. Then I no, got you. I got you fooled. I'm an apex predator, like that <laughs> shiny guy in uh, the, the, the 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 handsome vampire. Like the movie. Mike, who gets all the ladies. Hey, Mike is not an apex predator. <laughs> Corey, now that you've told us what you would do with your immortality, which was a great answer that I should have reminded myself to ask you, but I got caught up in the sound of my own stupid I'll voice. I'll just put it earlier. Great. What did you think? <laughs> what, are, what are your final thoughts? Again, I had a great time. I loved all the stupid head twisting. It's just like people get their heads grabbed and you're like, oh, is their head going to get twisted? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> it's so much fun. And that part alone is so much fun. Uh, and Katie, you said this was your second time watching the movie. From the first time to the second time, you said a couple of things kind of, uh, a couple of things were like, oh, 
maybe that's not so great. Overall, average the two films together. You, you still stand by this as a good time? Yeah. Yeah. Also, keep it on my favorites. Yeah. My favorites list. Is that like a top 10 or does it just grow? Oh, it's, it's like a, it just grows. It's like 35 movies. Hmm. Yeah. But it's a little sloppy, but I don't know. Hmm. I love the messy ones. They're a good time. And Martino, you, Katie, you are going to fucking love American Rickshaw. You're going to go, you're going to go nuts for it. It's oh out God. of its goddamn mind. That's quite the endorsement. No, 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 no. You're not, you don't even know. You're not even ready. And then afterwards, you're going to be able to shout. When somebody's like, American Rickshaw is crazy. You're going to get to go, I know. I know. I know. I know Etruscan. My husband is a very, very let me into this bar. Archaeologist. Mm. Um, hey, uh, Katie, uh, this is this is your opportunity now to plug anything you feel like plugging and uh, and tell people uh, where they can find you. OK, you can find me on YouTube, Katie of the Night, and that's K-A-T-I-E. You just do YouTube dot com slash Katie of the Night. I'll take you there and find me on Letterboxd. It's Anesthesia. With two N's. A N N E S T H E S I A. Hopefully that was right. Am I, uh, can I ask what the story of that name is? Is that your is that like a middle name or a... Oh, okay. Well, I really like this band called Typo Negative, and they have a song called Anesthesia, and my middle name is Anne. So it's like a combination of both. And that was my username since like MySpace. Days. incredible yeah nice keep it alive that is that is commitment and please do check out katie's stuff uh she's great she talks about this gooder than a lot than most people on youtube i'm a fan <laughs> um you. and i'm josh a kagan and you can find me at josh a kagan on instagram i'm Corey hander dickinson you can find me on twitter if it still exists at Absolar, which is a name i've had since the myspace days nice I'm Anna Wasserman. Uh, since you asked, Josh, my final thoughts on the film. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Are are That's still, why it's your job, as... your sole job. I'm so bad at this. I'm this isn't so my sorry. Show. I'm not the producer. It's, it's, it's they're, Josh's they're the job. the same as they were at the beginning. I stand I'm by what so I said I'm so terrible at this. I thought, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's late. And you know what? I, here's the important lesson that I learned. Even if I break it up between two glasses, 10 milligrams of THC is too much to do a podcast and remember things. Oh, Ten, are you a baby, Josh? I haven't. Okay, first of all, no. But second of all, it's my, fir it's my first dose of the day. And it's just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm old. I'm old. Add all of your ages together. That's me. I'm an old man. That's I'm the guy with true. two, I'm the guy with two pipes. You're not that much older. No, I think then. we beat you by 20 years totaled. Probably. I stayed completely sober to do this for you guys. And this oh, is I'm what sober you too. <laughs> If it makes you feel better. Okay. To be fair, as a Californian, 10 milligrams of THC is still completely sober. <laughs> but too much to do a podcast. <laughs> I got a little forgetty. I am sorry. Aww. This is my favorite part of the podcast. It's the okay, podcast, I'll fix the it. The part where we make Josh feel bad.
That's, I don't need you can't you can't hurt me with my own intrusive thoughts. No. And that's our show. Thank you, Katie, and thank, thank you, everybody. Is there something else I forgot to ask? I'm Anna Wasserman. You can find me on Instagram and whatever Twitter is in the future, if anything, uh, at Gold Sarcasmium, which is a name I've also had for a long time. Nice. Legacy. Legacy. I've had Joshy e. Kagan for 50 years. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Bye.